Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Back to the Debenham story in a few minutes' time, but paper-wise, unfortunately, um, it's official now. We're back in recession, and the economy has shrunk to numbers that put us back into recession. But I suppose we kind of knew that we were, or at least uh, that we would be. So it's how we react to it now, and hopefully uh, bounce back from it as soon as we get through this nightmare and out the other side of it. Um, actually, there are a lot of consequences to uh, you know coronavirus and COVID-19 and one of them is economic the other of course is health Uh, and we have problems now in places like Dublin and Limerick with numbers uh, by all accounts in fact in the UK the numbers continue to rise and that's why on the front of this morning's English Times you see the health secretary with a new mantra of don't kill granny with the virus. So he's he's aiming it and targeting at younger generations in the UK. Don't kill your granny is the message. Uh, somebody sent me a, a photograph on uh, onto my Instagram page uh, overnight uh, of an elderly gentleman who brings an alarm clock into the pub so he doesn't stay over his 90-minute allowance. Now, I'm assuming that it's not staged and it's the real thing. It's quite sad. He has a plate of food that he really hasn't eaten He's a half a pound, to st- half a pint, uh, half drunk pint of stout, uh, and a little alarm clock. Uh, it's quite sad, actually, isn't it? That uh, you know, if that is a real photograph, then an elderly man, um, you know, has to live and socialise and go into his local pub under those kind of conditions. But many of the papers talk uh, of public houses behave, and we'll open the pubs. The chiefs, and this is Neffeter saying uh, that. It could happen. It could happen as early as next week. But every day and every hour of every day for now, they're looking at the numbers. Yesterday, of course, we had publicans on Leaside marching or at least protesting um, outside uh, both Micheál Martin and uh, um, Michael McGrath's offices. And the examiner pick up on that with photographs and a story uh, from Own English today. But another consequence, of course, of coronavirus is, uh, you know, people who have other medical conditions that be minding, amongst them screening. So you'd be talking about breast check, you'd be talking about bowel screen, you'd be talking about cervical check. All of those were shut down because of the impact of COVID-19. Uh, in fact, breast check still hasn't even restarted and the other two are operating at reduced capacity. It's a story from the Irish Times to say today saying when you put all those together, cancer screening is down 60% now on the same period next year. And that, unfortunately, will lead to sicker people and more deaths. The CAO, of course, with yesterday's leaving certificate, loads of photographs of students jumping up in the air together. Why not accentuate the positive? That's what we need, really. We've got headlines about recession. We need to try and find the more optimistic and positive stories. So thousands of students got the results yesterday. Different circumstances, as the Echo correctly pointed out to us this morning, say than last year. But they're talking about uh, the calculated grades gave the highest grades ever by all accounts. By all accounts, when you looked at this year uh, and maybe the sixty or seventy thousand this year, as opposed to last year and years gone by. So that's going to have a knock-on effect then with regards to the CAO and issues regarding college places. Um, And and other education-related stories, unions now looking after teachers are very concerned about entire classes not being sent home in the event of a confirmed student case. Now, the story is from The Independent this morning where they say that classes are continuing in full in some schools in spite of the fact that they've had a confirmed COVID-19 case in the class. So that strikes me as bizarre. That didn't happen in Cork. To the best of my knowledge, what happened at Eglantine is that they had a um, a positive test in one of the primary school classes. Uh, parents and families were, were notified by, by email, which 
probably isn't the best way to do it because not everybody sees an email straight away, whereas you would see a text message. But anyway, that's just a by the way. So I believe that the class were all sent home at Skullfried Eglantine um, and uh, it didn't impact on the rest of the 550 pupils at the school. But it was the first case of it in a school in Cork and we gave you that story in the news yesterday, on air here yesterday. Um, on a lighter note, though, uh, some businesses are continuing to thrive and the Blosne Heron Awards have been announced. And I'm delighted to say that Velo Coffee, uh, and they, they do fabulous coffee. They roast it and everything themselves. And it's beautiful. Uh, and they're on uh, George's Key. And they have been shortlisted now for a Blosne Heron Award, which is great news because they're big coffee producers and they do beautiful coffee. They do ground and beans to take away. Check them out. There's a whole list of Blosne Heron Awards uh, making the papers today, particularly in the uh, Echo, because Cork has done well out of it. And if you want to brighten your mood or those that are around you, I love these kind of surveys and reports that they put in the papers. The latest one is to do with love and laughter and other things like that. The best way to flag to flag your or to lift a flagging mood. Um, there are there are like 20 of them, but 30 of them, but I don't have time for those. But a few that I've headlined, see how many of these uh, float your boat. Telling someone you love them, assuming they want to hear that in the first place. That's okay. Seeing your loved ones laughing hysterically. Yeah, well, what are they laughing at like? What if they're laughing at you, as happens to me most of the time? Um, having a positive mood around people. Smiling at a stranger and getting a smile back. Good luck with that now with the mask on. Putting your phone on silent. I'm off for that. Freshly washed sheets on the bed. Big time. A cup of tea. Sometimes it's the only thing that'll hit the spot. Dancing around the kitchen with friends. Weird. Rubbing a dog's belly weirder. Your first stretch in the morning. Ah, yeah, you can't bite that. And another one here that uh, I thought might be interesting. A bubble bath with candles. For some people, that's me daza. For me, doesn't do anything. It floats nothing. Um, I don't think I've had a bath since I was in short pants, to be honest. Uh, and then there's the story regarding, all, you know, because Novak Djokovic uh, hit a linesman with a ball and got kicked out of the US Open. Papers this morning. What paper is this from? It's probably the Mirror. Uh, has uh, the top 20 um, meltdowns in sport. Eric Cantona's kung fu kick is in there. Roy Keane's kick that ended the career of Alfe Inga Haaland is in there. Michael Conlon, the boxer, and his meltdown after defeat at the Olympics. I felt very sorry for him, actually. Novak Djokovic is in there, obviously. John McEnroe features with his meltdowns in tennis. Zinedine Zidane's headbutt is in there also. Rory McElroy, the time he threw his club into the lake, uh, that meltdown features in the top 20. Actually, that's really weird because... He threw his club into the lake at a golf course owned by Donald Trump. And way back in the day, Donald Trump hired a scuba diver to go in and retrieve Rory McIlroy's club. You can't beat it. Conor McGregor is in there, obviously. I think it was the one where he threw a chair through a bus, but you could probably put a half a dozen Conor McGregor ones in there. The Neil Prenderville Show. With Tesco. Save time and shop online. Simply log on to tesco.ie. It's open at one 104 106 You can text 0868104106. While there's a lot of stories uh, and texts and emails and calls regarding leaving cert and the state of the pubs and what have you, I will come back to those throughout the course of the morning. Uh, but an incredible response to yesterday's program when we were talking with Phil and she was um, uh, reliving her experience as a patient, observing the ward, the geriatric ward at the CUH. And she said she would prefer 
to die at home in her armchair than ever go back in there or into a hospital again, considering what she saw, the treatment of the elderly that she saw within the CUH. There is a lot of emails. Not everybody wishes to come on air, but they did um, catalogue their own stories uh, and very moving stories, very sad stories by email. So I'll be giving that a lot of time this morning because it's important. Um, so keep those coming. Text 0868-104-106. Straight to the phone lines we go on this Tuesday morning. Uh, Michelle, good morning. Good morning, Neil from Dewsbury Clarny. How are you? Good oh, morning. lovely stuff. I hope you're good, getting good weather, are you? Yeah, it's lovely and I hope I won't jinx it now. It's a lovely morning, so hopefully it'll stay like okay. that. Okay, I don't, I don't know you. So are you living down there or are you holidaying down there? No, I'm living down here, married to a Kerry man, Neil, originally from Cork. All right, so, okay, well. Yeah, yeah. You're the best of both worlds then. Listen, exactly, um, being a Cork exactly. woman and beautiful Killarney. <laughs> Listen, uh, were, you, were you listening to yesterday's programme? Oh, Neil, my heart was broken yesterday listening to those people about their loved ones. But Neil, I experienced it myself for two weeks in April. I was inside in a ward in um, the CUH. Um, I was actually, I have a long-term illness myself, so I would be in and out of the CUH a lot. And Neil, it's not getting better, it's worse it's getting. I'd be very slow if I was sick again to be going into the CUH. Okay, and does it make um, a difference? Were you public or private or semi-private or, or what? No, I was public, Neil. And you know what, Neil? I don't know why people are paying health insurance without private, public. They're all treated the same way. Right. Two people in my ward next to me were public or private and I was public and we all got the same treatment as each other. Well, I like to hear that. I mean, I think maybe the only benefit of private is that you might get operated on and into a hospital yeah. faster. There yeah. mightn't be as much yeah. in the way of a waiting list. Yeah. But anyway, exactly. your experience inside in the CUH, talk to me about that. Neil, my experience, I felt like a caged animal. That's what I felt like. And the five other ladies in the ward with me. Neil, there was a lady in my ward that got very, very sick and she was taken out of the room and... The door was locked in our wards, like the door was closed out. And you know, the, war- the doors don't be closed in the rooms. So the room was, the door was closed and um, it came to lunchtime. Our dinner was given in to us. There was no nurses to be seen to come in and out of that room. Um, people were looking in the glass of the window. And I happened to say to a lady in the ward, what's going on here? And she said to me, how's that lady? She said, COVID by any chance, because there's nobody coming in and out. The door is locked. I was like, no way. I started to panic, Neil. Our lunch came on disposable trays. Everything was disposable. A nurse's aide came into the room after we finished with a plastic bag to throw all the disposable stuff into it. We are talking about April now, incidentally, lads. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. And I just happened, I was getting scared and I just happened to say, I said, I'm sorry, but I said, why is the door locked? And I said, there's, there's nobody coming in and out of here. I said, everything's disposed of, being disposed of. I said, what's happening? Well, she said, look, between you and me, she said, that lady that was taken out of the room this morning is after being um, tested for COVID, but we'll have to wait on the results so nobody can come in and out of here. But I said, this is horrible for us. I said, we haven't been told anything. I said, it's actually scary. But with that, that evening, anyway, the lady was brought back in and she was actually testing negative. But Neil, there's no communication inside there. Mm, like mm. we were left for hours without knowing and it was it was horrible, absolutely horrible. Neil, I was in there for two weeks and this is sad to say I didn't shower for those two weeks because I didn't have a shower room in my room. The toilet in my room, a six-bedded ward, the toilet was broken, so we had to go up the ward. What do you mean broken? The actual toilet itself? Or yeah, the... yeah, it was broken. I tell the nurses three days, I was telling them that the toilet was not flushing, and people were still using it. 
and I actually said it to them again and she said oh I must put out a, a sign up I said people are still using the toilet and it's broken oh she said there's a toilet up the wards go up the wards oh, Camille so what, look, that's terrible by way of infection and making yeah, people sick using definitely. a toilet that doesn't flush Camille my mom had to drop my clothes at the door and put my name on the bag and I had to get her to put dental wipes into my bag so I could actually wipe down cleanliness is just it's frightening in there to be honest that's a major concern, actually, because, you know, of hospital infections that people pick up, whether yeah. it's C. diff, I'll be talking about yeah. that later on, or whether it's MRSA. That's so, all about cleanliness, you so know. So, Neil, there was 12 patients using the one toilet. Because you had your six had to go down the corridor, yeah. and you had the six yeah. who were down the corridor yeah. using the same loo. Yeah. yeah, and the same with the shower. But to be honest, Neil, when I went up and saw the shower, I was not going using it. Why? To be honest. Because the dirt... Everything thrown in there. There was old um, um, sheets thrown on the ground, obviously from somebody else after using it beforehand. I would not use it, Neil. Um, Neil, a cleaner. And this was just a general ward now? This wasn't this a ward? This is just a general ward. This is just a general was ward. Was it a mixed ward? When I first went in there, there was five women to one man. That poor man, I felt so sorry for him. He was inside in the ward for two days with five women which is absolutely crazy. Now, why did you feel sorry for him? Why, why would that be? In with five women. Yeah? That's horrible for a man to be inside. That, that's terrible. Okay. For one man inside with five, with five men. And a ward next door with um, mixed men and women. Why can't just put all the six women into one ward and six men into the ward? Would you be, cate- like would you be categorised by your condition, maybe? Maybe that's it, Maybe. But Neil, it should go back to the old way, the way it was. Six women in one ward and six men in the ward. Okay, but door. okay. so the big, the big problem here, because you were in there in April and we were living with the fear of COVID-19 and everybody was doing the best they could. So the elderly per- person was whipped out for a test. Yeah, they didn't probably want to yeah. frighten you by saying yeah. anything, you know, yeah. rather than so. But sometimes... But Neil, it's, locking the door and getting everything disposable. That was scary. No, I accept that. That yeah. is scary. But I, I think the real problem for me is the dirt. Is, yeah, Neil, a boy in his 20s, you know yourself, a boy in his 20s coming in to work in the morning, if he had interest, he would be scrubbing the place and hoovering and cleaning. Neil, there was a boy in his 20s, all he was worried about was his pay packet on a Friday because he'd come in with a jug of a little bit of water, fire the water on the floor and give it a little quick mop. Oh, it's done and off he goes. That was no it. more interest in cleaning. Neil, there was no disinfectant, nothing used on that floor, just plain water out of the sink. Did you say it to anybody? No, I didn't say nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Neil, this is going on for a long time. I've been in and out of the CUH for a long time and this cleaning is going on like that for a long, long time, to be honest. <sighs> okay, all right, okay. Like, um, I really want to bring somebody you, in and have a look at the cleaning. You, would, you, you wouldn't bring your granny in, you said, is that right? Neil, my grandmother was sick. She's 88. She was sick last week and I would not bring her to the hospital. No way would I leave her in a trolley for 48 hours thrown there. If you can't speak for yourself, do not go into the COH because you need to be able to speak in, speak for yourself. Because she would have gone into a geriatric ward, right? She's 88. 
Yeah, and we went to our own local doctor at home and he said to her, he said, Nora, you're going to have to go to the hospital. And she said, not a hope am I going in there. No way. She said, thrown on a trolley, I'm not going in there. But lucky, Neil, we were so lucky, our own local doctor at home organised the next day for her to go in and have all her tests done on the one day and home again. Neil, that should be organised for a lot of the elderly people. It's an awful thing when you have people in fear of going to hospitals. Exactly. That's what's going to happen. People are scared to go into the hospitals now. That's what's happening. Okay. Thanks, Michelle. Appreciate you taking the call. Listen to the lady on the air about the horrific experience she had in the geriatric ward in the CUH. I've been in the CUH so many times as I had breast cancer six years ago. Uh, I've had this, I've had surgeries and day procedures and I've always found the staff and care fantastic. My grandmother, though, was admitted about two and a half years ago and she was quite sick from an infection and was admitted to the geriatric ward of the CUH. It was exactly the horrific scene that Lady On Air experienced. It was an immediate sense of fear there. My grandmother was scared in there all of the time. They were just left there helpless and in despair. I'm not one to complain usually and understand how nurses and healthcare staff have a tough and busy job, to say the least. But I couldn't compare the staff on the geriatric ward to anywhere else in that hospital. Our lovely grandmother went downhill so quickly. It seemed to be if they were to go, it seemed to be if they were to go on a commode or get a bedpan or to be changed, it was a luxury. Staff would be annoyed if they were asked to help with any of those duties, bedpans, commodes or need changing. I myself witnessed this vulgar treatment Uh, to the pillars of our families and communities who worked hard all their lives to be treated with such disrespect and have their dignities taken away from them, it was nothing short of a crime. Uh, Patients who weren't mobile and couldn't feed themselves went hungry at times. If I didn't witness this myself, I would find it hard to believe how badly the treatment was. It was a hellhole. Patients who couldn't feed themselves went hungry. I hope something will be done to stop others being treated the way my beautiful, kind grandmother was treated. Kind regards, says Jenna. Uh, to the phone lines we go. Eleanor, good morning. Good morning. Uh, that's very, very sad. If, if, if patients aren't mobile enough to pick up a knife and fork, um, the food is just left there and picked up when it's uh, you know, uneaten yeah. and just taken away. Yeah. Anyway, what's on your mind? Well... I had a similar story to the, the lady, how she was treated, but it was my mother in mm-hmm. 2016. And I brought her to A&E on, on the Saturday. She'd fainted in the shower on the Saturday morning and I found her at lunchtime. And she actually had a urinary tract infection. So that's all that was wrong with her. And the very best treatment she got in her whole time in the CUH was actually only in A&E on a trolley for two days. She got more care there than she did when she was admitted on the Monday into the ward. Right. And what she ward was, was she admitted into? Well, the first ward was, I don't know what it was called. It was down on the very the very um, bottom floor, but she was only there for one night. It's like they just fitted her in there. And she was in with two men and they obviously weren't right in the head so they were shouting all night and she was scared and she had to keep going to the bathroom because of her infection. The bathroom was filthy. The floor was soaking wet. Did you see uh, the bathroom yourself? I did. I did because you, I, I, I helped her to the door of it. Yes, I can did. Can you describe how on. you call it filthy? In what way? It, just, just, there was all urine on the floor. 
there was only men in the ward and there was urine all over the floor. And I said, Mom, you'll have to try not to go to that bathroom. And she said, but I have to, I have to, I have to go. At the time, she was running to the bathroom every 20 minutes, a half an hour. Like, we all know a clean bathroom, don't we? It's something you'd notice, like, so we'd equally... Was just horrendous. So we'd we'd equally know a bathroom that wasn't being cared for, wouldn't we? We would. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And w- so, would you say it hadn't been cleaned in quite some time? I would. I would definitely all all day long. Definitely. It's like so, it's just. I know I've been saying this over and over since yesterday morning, but like cleanliness is so important in a hospital. Yeah, and the, bathrooms the smell, would be the smell you hit me. Then when she was a bit, when she was put up onto the other floor, up on floor two first, they kept moving her, and then she was eventually up on the geriatric ward and, and and one, and she was in all different rooms up there. But the smell when I when I when you go in the doors to the geriatric ward, the smell would hit me. The top of the stairs, in open the door, and the smell would hit you. Of what? Of dirt, dirt, pure dirt. The, remember all these old people in the hospital, no matter how long they're in, they're never given a shower. They're given bed baths. And that's not good enough. Some some of them are well able to have showers, but they're not they're not allowed to have showers. So this the the smell when you describe dirt, it's human. Yes. Ah, that's sad. Yes. Yes. So her treatment on the on the geriatric ward was the worst worst I've ever seen. What did you see there? Well, it came to the stage that we couldn't let my mother alone in the hospital. Some of us had to be there all the time. My brother used to go up in the morning early to make sure she she got something to eat because what happened was she she was visually impaired. And I told the staff when she was being admitted, she's visually impaired and she can't see it all in the dark. She only had 20% vision left in one eye and she was completely blind in the other. So between the two eyes, she had 20%. Yes. So the night came and they turned off all the lights and she had a urinary tract infection, so she had to get out. But the bed was too high for her to get off. So she kept calling and calling and nobody was coming. She'd, there'd be, she'd, have a bu- she'd have a buzzer or a button, a light. Yes, yeah. they eventually took the buzzer off her as well. They didn't like that she had the buzzer and she kept buzzing them. Well, she knew her own mind. She was she was um, a well-capable woman going in there. So she's and, a blind woman with oh. a urinary tract infection that needs to yes. use the loo. Yes. No, nobody answers her bell and they eventually no. take it off her. So, yes, so... She decided she'd get out of the bed, but they turned off all the lights. She could feel something at the side of the bed, she told me. She thought it was the table up to the bed, so she pushed it to move it away, and she fell out over. It was actually, they were after pushing up the side of the bed, but she didn't know it because she couldn't see. So she fell out over that, and um, she got an awful fright then, and she was all bruised, but luckily that time... There was nothing much wrong with her. But did somebody come to her aid at that stage? They did then. They did then. So, but could you explain something to me for fear that I forget? In the in that ward, is there not a nurse's station or a staff station in the ward? There's no one in the ward. No, there's no desk there. There's no. No, the desk was outside. So, um, 
when I went in the next day, she was all bruised. And I said, oh, what happened? You know, she began to tell me. But when she just told me her story, a nurse came in and said, oh, she had a little bit of a, a slip last night. It's nothing much. She's just a little bit bruised. And the nurse told me a completely different story to what happened as my mother did. But there was a younger woman in the bed across from my mother who was only there for one night. And she said to me when the nurse had gone, that's not at all what happened, she said. Your mother's version is what happened. The woman said to me that she was calling them. Every time she called them, they ignored her. And she was pleading with them, hurry, she can't hold on anymore. And they were just ignoring her and giving out to her that she'd only been out a half an hour previous. Giving so, out? Yes. So, um, then, um, oh yes, my mother couldn't reach the light behind her bed or anything. That was all too far away for her. She couldn't see anyway to do it. So she was left in the darkness. So I asked them not to let her in the darkness. And um, my brother also began to go up at night and stay there till she went to sleep. And he used to leave her with the light on. But when he was gone, then other people in the ward would say, they'd come in and turn off the light. But she was always left without being able to see. But maybe it was time Um, to sleep then, was it not? It was, but the the little lights over the beds wouldn't keep any other patient awake, really. Yes. So anyway, that was the first time she fell. And then about, oh yes, there's another thing too about this. All they were interested in was getting the people back home again, getting them out straight away. So that was fine. She was in there a few days and the bed manager came to me one morning and said, oh, well, we think now she's ready to be moved. We'll send her to um, St. Finbar's for physiotherapy because she had the fall. So I said, okay, that's fine. So she went to St. Finbar's for two weeks and then they actually began to sedate her there at night because she, the infection wasn't gone at all. She wasn't better. And she kept calling them at night because she wanted to go to the bathroom. She couldn't manage it herself at night. So they began to sedate her and never told us. We didn't know. And my son was home with his wife and he was going home early one morning. He wanted to see her before he went. And I brought him up to the hospital about 10 o'clock or half nine or something like that. And we went in. And um, my husband's wife is um, works with, with old people in the UK. She's a dietitian and she said, she's very groggy. And I, I was saying, no, maybe she's just after waking up. She said, no, I'm telling you, she's very groggy. So uh, that later that day, I was taking her home. She was coming home to stay with me. And when I went to, pick her, when I went to take her home, one of the nurses said, I'll have to get her medication or her prescription for you. And I said, prescription? Sure. She was just on her usual blood pressure and calcium tablets. That's all she had. And I was waiting for about a half an hour. And and um, then the nurse came back and said, oh, no, sorry, I spoke to the doctor. That's not to go in home. Because the, the nurse mentioned an injection to me. She needs an injection every night. So... And then she came back to me and she said, oh no, sorry, the doctor said, that's only for in here, you don't need that. What was it? I don't know. I don't know. Some injection, my mother was complaining, she was getting an injection into her tummy every night. But when we were in St. Finbar's, I said to her, oh mum, this is much nicer here, you're lucky now they sent you here. And she said, they're not, they're not all as nice as you think at all. 
So that was all right. She was home with me then for two weeks, but the infection wasn't gone, so she got worse. And she just happened to have an outpatient appointment with consultant in the CUH. So it was the day before I took her to the GP and the GP said, keep that appointment in the morning because he had to do another urine sample and he wouldn't have the results. So my brother took her to that appointment and they got the geriatric doctor to come and have a look at her. So they wanted to admit her again and she was adamant she didn't want to be admitted. So my brother rang me and I said, but if they think she needs to be admitted, you better persuade her to stay. I'll come up in a minute with her things. So he did. And that's the worst thing we ever did in our lives. My mother never came out to CUH. She was in there for another three months. And it was three months of head. And all she went in with was a urinary tract infection and nothing else. And she just, the second time then she was in, she fell again. She was in there a day or two again. And I went up one morning and she was all bruised. I said, what happened to you? Oh, she said, I had an awful fall last night and she was crying. And the nurse came and told me, oh, it's not much. It's nothing much. And she said it is. And her she'd, she was crying with pain in her hand. And her hand was all bruised and pain in her hip. But she did have, she did have um it deteriorated spine and she did have the previous hip operation on an, on the other hip. Was she an elderly lady? Yes, she was 77 and she turned 78 in there. Mm. And um, so she kept on about the pain, crying with the pain and they brought her food and they just put it on the tray, left it there and she couldn't eat it. It was her right hand so she was trying to eat. She couldn't eat She it. couldn't eat her right hand, yeah. And yes. also her sight. So she had only 20% sight in one eye and none in the did. other. And then they were bringing her things she'd never eat like sausages, chips, big plate of beans she wouldn't eat in her life. And um, all, all, all food like that. So I, I started to make her food and bring it up. So we were bringing up our own food to her. And did you life. feed her then? She was able to manage if you were there to help her. Yes, she, to help. She wasn't yeah. not able. She was always. She was. You know, she was. She but she was with the right hand. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, any of us so would struggle. Right yeah. Yes. So we. So we did. So anyway, she kept saying there was something wrong with the hand, and I called. Kept calling the nurse, and they were saying, "No, there's nothing in at all in her head. It's all in her head. It wasn't in her head at all." So about two days later, I went up, and she. The, the hand was in a cast so actually she complained so much that some doctor she must have complained to the doctor when he came around in the morning and the doctor ordered an x-ray and she had three fractures in her hand so then she kept on about they used to sit her out on the chair as well they'd come at, when they'd get them up half a six or seven in the morning and sit them on a chair and let them there all day and she couldn't sit she couldn't do that at home because of her back and her hip anyway she had to bring this special cushion everywhere to sit on and she was complaining about my city and all this. You know, mm. she couldn't sit for too long mm. anyway. So she was be asking them and begging them to push her back into the bed and they used just to ignore her and say, no, you can stay there now for another while. So Even though she would her. complain of pain? Yes, okay. and she was in pain. And, and after the fall, she was in awful pain. So we we said to the... The nurse, I said to the, the nurse and I saw a doctor and I said she's in too much pain to be sitting there 
And they were saying, well, she has to build her muscles up now to go home. So I said, that's not it at all. She said she has an awful, an awful pain in her in her hip. So another few days, and this was five days after the fall, they eventually x-rayed her hip and that was actually fractured too. So then we thought she was okay and I went up the next day and she was in an awful state again and she said, they're just after putting me back into bed now. I've been out all morning sitting on that chair and I went up at lunchtime that day and and she wasn't able to eat her lunch. She was in pain. So the, the lunch came and said, no, I can't, eat, I can't eat anything. I'm in too much pain. And then we asked them not to let her sit out anymore unless she wants to sit out. So they weren't listening to us. My mother kept telling us. So my sister, before before work, the, the, the next morning, my two sisters actually went up unexpectedly about 10 o'clock in the morning and just went in. And my mother was sitting on the chair and she was begging one of the nurses, please don't let me hear, please don't Did let me hear. Did your sisters hear that? Sit here. They did. Please, please put me back in. Pleading. And my sister had a fit, yes, and, and ordered the nurse put her straight back into bed now. Well, Neil, they put her back into bed. And you know what they did? They never took her out of the bed again. Never, ever took her out again. And I, I thought I was going to be taking her home. We were just waiting for her to get better, but actually she was getting worse. And one day I pulled down her cover and her her leg, the leg that the hip was fractured on, the leg was gone so thin. It was as thin as her arm. And I got an awful shock. And I asked the nurse what happened to her leg. And she said, oh, that's because she's just lying in the bed all day. And I said, when she gets home, will we be able to build that leg up again? And the nurse said, no, she'll never be mobile again. I couldn't believe it. It's like, because we spoke up to them, they, they, even, they even treated her worse. And my mother used to always be on about the shouting at night, the shouting at night. But when she went in first, I used to think, I used to presume it was the patients in the ward because there was one or two men in the wards and I just thought that's who must have been shouting. But then she was in a ward with just all women and she kept on about the shouting at night. It's terrible, it's terrible. And then I realised it wasn't, it wasn't the patients that were shouting at all. But they treated everybody. Who like, was shouting? The, the staff were shouting. At the, the patients? were shouting at the patients. But how do you know they that? Because my mother was was telling me, she first of all she was only hinting at it. She was saying you wouldn't believe what they do to people in here. You wouldn't believe it. She's saying to me, you wouldn't believe it, and she was scared of her life. And she was compass mentis, as the fellow says. I mean, she, she was. She wasn't imagining was. it. Yeah. No, no, she was. She was total. Her faculties were all shouting. There. And did she tell you what they were shouting? No, she didn't. Just the shouting. She didn't like the shouting. She was a gentle woman. Okay. She was with us and she was 38. So she wasn't used to... I Well, I thought at the time it was she, just men shouting, but it wasn't. That, so it you're, you're, you're 100% um, sure that your mother was saying that the staff were yes. shouting at the patients at night? Yes, mm. they roared at them. Don't get out of the bed. Don't move. So she wasn't... 
anyway, she couldn't get out of the bed then when her her hip was fractured and everything. So then, first of all, they put a catheter on her and she wasn't incontinent or anything. And she she gave out about that. She didn't want it. So they took it off and she didn't want to use the bedpan. She wanted to be helped to the bathroom. So then, then a few days later, I went up and she was in the bed and she was crying. And I said, what's the matter, ma'am? said, look what they've done to me now. And they put a nappy on her against her will. And she kept pleading with them to take it off. She was begging me to take it off. She was like, please, can't you take this off me? Can't you take it off me? She didn't want it on. So I said it to the nurse. She doesn't want it. Oh, she needs it, she said. She needs it. She didn't need it. My mother wasn't incontinent at all. It was for their convenience that they put a nappy on her. And all that brought her down. Then she was in protest. And when they put the nappy on her, she wouldn't drink because she didn't want to soil the nappy. And then she began not to eat. And you know what? They just left her not eating and not drinking. They didn't care. They just left her. But did they alert you to the fact that she wasn't taking sustenance and things? No, we knew it. We knew it because we were there with her. and We were trying to coax her. And she might take you something light, like a yogurt or a piece of ice cream or something. She stopped eating meals and then she said she can't. She feels sick at the thought of it. She was sick at the thought of that's what she was going to have to do in the nappy if she ate. She was sick of it, she said. Sick of it. She only wanted to go home. So then they were trying to um, organise a care package to take her home because... Because um, the longer she was in the bed then, they were saying she wasn't mobile, which she wasn't. But I thought when we got her home, she'd build up again. So then they weren't offering enough enough um, hours. So the, I said, it doesn't matter. The nurses said, no, she needs two people all the time. She needs to be turned and she needs to be changed at night and all this. My mother was in her full right mind. And it, was, it was just horrendous, horrendous for this to be happening a woman such an independent woman all her life so anyway we never got her home we never got her home she eventually died she started getting a chest infection then in there they were putting her on nebulizers and this was all because she wasn't being exercised she wasn't out of the bed she the only moving she got was when they moved her from one ward to another and every single ward was the same there was another, I went in another day then. It was about three o'clock one Sunday. My mother was asleep and there was another woman sitting out on the chair next to my mother's bed. And the minute she saw me, she called me and she said, would you ever help me? Would you ever help me? She said, I've been sitting like this since 11 this morning. And her pyjama bottom had fell down around her, her knees. So she said, if I stand up, would you pull it up for me? So that's the treatment they were getting in there, and you, you I, I found the, the more you said, the more you said anything, if you gave out about anything, they had it in then for her more. When we do you really do you really believe that that somebody would I be do. somebody called I to do. the profession of of nursing or healthcare would, would be that vindictive? Yes, I do. I think they're 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 petty. Their minds are petty. The worst person in there was a trainee nurse and the the best treatment she got were two carers one a lovely black man 
and my mother used to smile when he came towards the bed and another another man he was actually Irish and he told me he had he had training in geriatric care and he was the only person in there that started getting her these drinks because she wasn't eating to try build her up and then he'd wait for me to bring in I would make things that she'd like and he'd wait for me then to bring in what I'd bring in and then he'd coax her and he was beginning to feed her, coaxing her. He said, I know how to handle old people, he said. So I'd just go in and leave him to it and I'd go for a walk and I'd come back and, and he'd be after feeding her. And did she pass away in the CUH? She did. And then she then, then she was sick and I never heard what was wrong with her. I just presumed it must be her breathing or the chest infection or something. But prior to going into the CUH, she never had a bad chest in her life. And she was about three days and they said, no, she she was dying. But they were giving her, they were giving her pain medication. And I had on her notes that she was allergic to morphine or anything like that. They weren't to give her anything like that. So I don't know what the pain medication was they were giving her, but now I think it was some morphine thing. Because for the last, about two weeks before she died, she was always asleep when we got there. She was always asleep. She was hardly ever awake anymore. And um, then they called us and said, oh no, they think she's going to die. So she was three days, then they put her into a room on her own. And she just died. But they was they had her on a morphine drip then, and they just kept upping and upping that, and no one explained to me why. And I never knew what she died of. Can you believe it? Till I went to get the death cert, and on the death cert was pneumonia. And I I believe that if she wasn't, if we had taken her home, she'd still be alive today. She she had a tor- she had a torturous she had a torturous yeah. end of life. In hindsight, I should have just got a wheelchair, put her into it and brought her out, put her into the car and went home and dealt with the consequences of doing that. That's what I should have done. And we left her there. We thought we were doing the best thing. We were believing them. That's absolutely horrific. And then they started talking that her leg was gone too bad and how was I ever going to manage her at home? But my brother said he'd help me. And I was trying to... um, I was try- I was trying to was in the process of trying to get carers myself and pay them to come in, even though I wouldn't have been able to keep that up forever. Ah, no, she she, deter- she deteriorated it. at a shocking she rate did. the minute she, she went did. in the doors of both the Mercy and, and the CUH. Just, yeah. Yeah, Sorry, the St. Finbars actually, wasn't it? St. Finbars, yeah. St. Finbars was better, I must say. That was much better. I know. But they still drugged her at night, which she didn't need at all. That was for their convenience too. I'm so sorry to hear about the story of, of uh, your beautiful mother. Um, how, how does I'm, I'm going to leave it at that because you know we we, we took some time. We we walked through your story. Okay. It's an important story. So I, I hope you're happy with that. But um, how does it make you feel now? Do you feel angry? Do you feel bitter? Um, I do. Do you feel do you feel that elderly people are just not being looked after properly? I do. I think I think it's horrendous. I, I, you would never believe how they treat the elderly in the CUH. You would never, ever, ever believe it unless you saw it with your own eyes. Okay. 
because when my mother was saying things the first few days, sure, I was laughing, them, lighting it off, thinking she was exaggerating. Okay, okay. Okay, well, these are the case yeah. histories that we're oh. dealing with, Eleanor. Thank you so much for taking the time. Can I know. I just say one other yes, thing then? Of course. It was just a, a few months later then, when I was when I was fixing up her grave, another woman was at another grave a few away from my mother's and she just started talking to me because she saw the name on the headstone and she was asking me, was it? Because she knew my brother. And I said, it was. And she said, oh, she said, I know what happened to your mother. She said, my mother, she said, went the exact same way one year to the day previous to my mother, a year earlier. And she said to me, her family went to a solicitor about it and they tried to see, was there anything they could do? And they were advised, no, because the records would go missing and they, they just would never be able to prove it. So there was nothing they could ever do about it. Okay. So they know they're getting away with it. They don't always, though. I have a conversation later on this morning with a family who did take a legal case against the uh, CUH. Um, and but there was certainly neglect on my mother's behalf. It was certainly neglect. And it was certainly abuse. Abuse in that the way they treated her and forcing her into a nappy when she wasn't even incontinent and she didn't want it. She felt humiliated. She was ashamed. She was crying. What if there's not enough staff? There seemed to be enough staff. There was always care assistance around. What were they doing? They were horrible. They'd be in and around walking. They would have to help some people out to the bathroom or to get a bedpan or something for people. But it was like it was an imposition to them. They didn't want to do it. Okay. And there was another man, and he was in there, and he had a stroke, and his wife was there 24 hours, and one day she went home to change. She was from West Cork or something, and they they had to try feed that man then when she was gone. And it was the trainee nurse was doing it, and she sat there, shoveling the food into the man's mouth and didn't utter a word to him the whole time she was trying to feed him his lunch. Wouldn't it have been just as easy to chat? It would. Not a word. They had, she had a face on her. like she, It was beneath her to have to do that. It was terrible. Okay. okay. Absolutely. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know it's a so, difficult thing to relive again, but I do appreciate it. The moral of the story is stay well and never go in there. Okay. All right. Thank you, Eleanor. Thank you so much. Back after the break, text 0868104106. Text The Neil Prenderville Show now. 0868104106. Red FM. Got more calls, texts and emails after 10. There's a little bit of confusion as to uh, what happened or didn't happen in Skull uh, in Eglantine Primary School because some people following what I said earlier on about the class being sent home are saying, where are you getting information? That's not accurate. They're saying that only a section of the class were sent home. So I'm looking for further clarification on that one, um, that the school stayed open, the class stayed open, only a particular group were sent home and people are suggesting that I'm wrong, saying that the whole class went because they're saying we're shocked that the whole class was not sent home. Um, a friend of mine is a teacher in the school, Neil. She couldn't believe that it was only a section of the class that was sent home and not the whole class. Uh, it's a disgrace that you allow such unsubstantiated claims on your radio show about our health system, not to mind a specific area in our local hospital being identified. I trained as a nurse in the CUH and worked there up until recently. 
and the hospital is run to an incredibly high standard. The doctors are responsible and prescribing medicine to patients will only happen with their consent or their next of kin, which generally happens in a geriatric setting when a patient is unable to make such decisions for themselves, like, for instance, dementia. The nurses are all incredibly caring, often staying an hour or so late in the evening, working more than 13-hour shifts to provide care for their patients. Porters, catering staff, healthcare assistants are always going out of their way to help. I find it deplorable that you as a broadcaster will allow these claims on your show, knowing that the ward or the hospital cannot, for legal reasons, comment or defend individual cases. You're allowing an attitude of fear for anyone now listening to your show who may have to attend the hospital when unwell, God forbid, be placed in Ward 1A. God forbid is right, says I. I would envisage a lot of the anxiety your callers are experiencing are due to the fear of being sick during a pandemic and even more so sick enough to be in hospital. Either being a patient, a mother, daughter or son, being in a hospital alone or only allowed a 15 minute window to see a loved one is a massively anxiety inducing thing to which your show is worsening for people. The staff are doing their very best. I'm certain of that working during a pandemic to mind our most vulnerable in society. Stop scaring Cork. Now, some of the, many of the calls that I've been talking with on air are people who are sharing experiences long before COVID-19 or the pandemic or limited access to the ward to visit loved ones. Now, some of the calls are in the last six months, but some are going back uh, years. In fact, one later on, which is a pre-record, ended up in court. Um, are you suggesting that anybody that calls with stories like these should be told, I don't believe you. I'm not putting you on the air. You don't have a right to tell your story. Come on. Back after 10. The Neil Prenderville Show. With Tesco. Save time and shop online. Simply log on to tesco.ie. Okay, yes indeed. Thank you. Many people have been sending me um, the uh, document that the HSE has released, uh, which reports on the accurate figure of deaths related to COVID-19 where it was actually a COVID-19 death. It's an important piece of information, all right, but it doesn't take from the fact that, um, you know, 1,777 people died with coronavirus, even though 1,677 of them had underlying clinical conditions. Somebody's saying, I hope you read this out. So I'm passing on the information. It's a summary of deaths. In all COVID-19 cases notified in Ireland up to midnight at the back end of uh, the last month. And it said that 1,777 people died uh, with COVID-19, but uh, 1,677 of them had underlying clinical conditions. The median age of the deaths was 84 years of age. But people who died from COVID-19 ranged between 17 and 105. So that's the official document. Um, people are suggesting that COVID didn't kill um, the majority of them, that it only killed 100. So I'm passing that on for uh, clarity and um, transparency. My nan was a patient in a ward in the CUH in March 15th to March 20th. She was uh, full-time care and we all minded her at home for years. We couldn't see her or talk to her as it was in a state of lockdown at the start. At the time, it was actually the start of lockdown. She went in on the 15th of March. We could only get very little information on the phone. Uh, it was always very cold uh, in nature. She was in the information, that is. Uh, she was 89 years of age and admitted with pneumonia, subsequently diagnosed with metatastic carcinoma. We got her discharged ourselves on the 20th of March by ambulance. Uh, she was still strong enough to come home. She came home with a pressure sore from the six days she was in there. We still have pictures. 
Uh, it was all broken down and her skin had turned purple on her bum. She passed away six days later in her own bed. Uh, I, for one, will never forgive them for their lack of care as I'm a nurse myself and my nan was my hero. Please don't give out my details. Listening to the people speaking with Neil regarding the geriatric ward in the CUH, and I agree with everything they say, particularly Phil, based on my dad's experience in the other geriatric ward, 4A. My dad suffered a stroke 10 years ago and spent 16 weeks in that awful ward 10 years ago. Following the stroke, he was wheelchair-bound and suffering with confusion. He was in a six-bedded ward next to a patient definitely younger than him, probably in his 40s. This man constantly banged the side of his locker, terrifying my dad. We as a family were unable to communicate with dad because of the constant banging in the bed next. I complained to a nurse in charge, but she said she had a duty of care to this patient and allowed the banging to continue. When dad was deemed ready for transfer to another facility, we were told that my father could not be moved as he was abusive to staff when they woke him in the mornings. In order to check this out, I spent three mornings outside Dad's bed behind the curtain listening to the staff who were waking my dad. And perhaps it was because the staff knew that I was there, there was never a problem. And I certainly heard no abuse. Following this, we were then told that Dad was ready for transfer. My dad was moved to our local HSC hospital in Kinsale and spent three years there until his death. During those three years, he was treated with dignity and respect And I cannot praise the staff highly enough for their professionalism in Kinsale. I believe that given a choice, most nurses opt to work in, say, a paediatric ward rather than a geriatric ward. So maybe, unfortunately, the staff who end up on these geriatric wards resent the heavier workload that nursing the elderly involves. Thank you for reading this. Uh, if it's broadcast, please don't give out our personal details. Thank you for all of those. Uh, I'll go back to the cause in a moment, and I'm so grateful to Jane. Just another couple of seconds, but with regards to Eglantine School, um, the people challenging what Neil said are correct uh, about who was sent home from the class, right? Only a pod within the class in Eglantine and the teacher were not in school yesterday. The rest of the class were, and a sub-teacher was in Uh, And all were asked to attend. The issue we as parents of children in Eglantine have is that the teacher will have had contact with all the pods within the class. We have a daughter in the class concerned and we all have been told to send your daughters to school as usual. So it would appear that um, there's um, unhappiness with that decision not to send all of the class home and only a section of the class. Of course, we have reached out to the school again. Uh, They weren't available for comment yesterday, and we'll see if they are today. Uh, Can I also say that somewhere, yeah, somebody asked me, you know, have you contacted the hospital with regards to the calls you've had on it? Yes, absolutely. We would be obliged to call them and say, listen, we're going to be doing this on the air, and we'd like to get your comment on it. We'd like to get a spokesperson. So you go through the regular, you know, chains of command. Uh, But we got a very short response from the hospital who declined to put forward a spokesperson because they said... Uh, CUH cannot comment on individual patients or third-party commentary. The health, safety and well-being of patients are of paramount importance to the hospital. Well, um, I know that that is the objective, really, as being, as they call it, a centre of excellence. But I hope that they are listening to the stories of patients and families on the air with me yesterday and again today. And with that in mind, Jane, my sincerest apologies. I'm sorry I kept you so long. Are you okay? Yeah, absolutely fine. And thank you, thank you for your patience and waiting. What, You're okay. What would you like to share? 
Um, I suppose just for me, um, I am so delighted that this has been brought to um, people's attention. Um, for me, uh, my mum and dad are in full-time care now anyway and doing exceptionally well. But my mom's health um, really went downhill in the both for the last four or five years. I had actually been on to you last November about her stay in the CUH. So we've had first-hand experience, really, because um, we've been in and out quite a lot um, with her. So she had a bad fall in March 2019. Um, she broke her hip. She broke her arm. Um so basically we went through the whole A&E procedure and we ended up on floor four. Um, to say that it was a nightmare um, is really an understatement, to be quite honest with you. Um, my mum went into a state, I don't know, would you ever heard of acute delirium? Um, it was probably the shock. Um, she was terrified. But for us, looking at this as a family... We had no idea what was wrong with her. She was like, she was like, you know, something psychiatric ward, really. You know, we thought that she was completely after losing her mind. We were looking for answers. Was that related to the fall? I mean, what injuries did she suffer from the fall? At home, I believe that was. This was at home, yeah. She would have had really the worst form of osteoporosis, Neil. Her bones were literally just breaking, you know. Um, So it was a, a break to the hip. And her uh, her hand as well had been broken. So um, uh, it was just really the treatment that was there was just absolutely appalling. No, I did because I, I'm endeavouring to try and be as fair and as balanced as I can, but yeah. not being medical. Uh, we'll talk to a geriatrician later this morning. But, yeah. uh, you know, do you not think that maybe her age and the osteoporosis and the fall and everything related to the pain and the injuries and the broken bones would have a very serious psychological effect upon her. 110%. And this is actually something that my mom now that if she ever had any other um, issues that needed to be treated in a hospital, my mom puts herself into this state that we are now aware that this is what she does and she'll come out of it in her own time. It was the treatment that we were given inside there, Neil. My mum had broken her hip. She had that fall on the Thursday. And these paramedics, that the, the, we called an ambulance to the house. These, these guys are absolutely amazing. They are amazing. They don't get enough credit for what they do at all. I've seen attitude of young nurses. They have no respect for our beautiful parents, grandparents. I've seen it, Neil. I've been in through this system a thousand times. My, bro- my mom had that fall on the Thursday. They took my mom. My dad has dementia. He's at home. I will be down as just a point of call. They took my mom down to surgery on the Saturday morning in this acute state of delirium without consulting any one of her family. None of us. I went in to see her on the Saturday morning and she wasn't there and I thought she might have been moved. We didn't know what was happening. And they had taken her down but not even consulting one of us. My mum was terrified. She was absolutely terrified. They have no respect in there. They have, they don't care. They put, they were putting food in front of my mum, Neil, after that, and she, she had a broken hand. She was in a complete state, in a complete state of shock, mm. sitting in the bed, 
eyes rolling in her head and my mum is an absolute lady. They were wheeling her out into the corridor at night time like she was put into the bull boy's corner. Why was she wheeled out to the corridor? On her, on her own, is it? She was, get, she was, yeah, because she was getting too upset at night time and kind of shouting and roaring. I mean, you know your mum to be so quiet. She's a lamb, an absolute lady. What she went through, you know, for the last couple of years and never, ever complained. Never. And wheeled out into that corridor like she was a bold child. And what else we saw in there, I only can speak for my own mum and now she's safe with my dad. And it's a relief that we know that hopefully that she will never have to go in there again. And my mom would have a heart issue. She'd have, she's Parkinson's and she's got two amazing top doctors inside there that treat her. Where are your mum and dad now? They're in a nursing home now. Together? Together, in the same room. An amazing nursing home. They, we, we are blessed, beyond blessed, really. They're happy together? Happy together. I Maybe sometimes she could kill him all right, Neil, but mm. sure, look. They're together and they're happy. And she's well and she is super well and that I just pray to God that she never, ever has to go through. And on Neil, I heard you saying a while ago about them being maybe, you know, not enough staff. No, this is complete heartlessness. And I am so... I pity the people that have their moms or their dads or anything in these places now because they've only got a 15 minute slot. What they must be getting away with inside there must be. My heart is broken over that beautiful lady that rang you yesterday morning and I couldn't believe what I was hearing because we were going to go further about it. When we had quizzed a surgeon about my mom's state of delirium, he told us take her as we, as we find her because they saved her life because a hip um, surgery at that age could kill them. That's what he said to us, Neil. Yeah, but they, they, did, but they, but they did But they did mend her in the end of the day. Oh, 110%. They did mend her. Yeah. Yeah, but um, Neil, that's their job to mend her. That's their job mm. to do that. Do, do you think, and, you know how, incre- I mean, this might sound bizarre, but do you know how in creches you, you can have, you can dial into a creche and you can check your child, can't you, on a camera and things like that? Like, yeah. you, like you could, you could, I could dial into my house now and, and check it and stuff like that. I wonder, would that be, would that be permissible? Or would there be a GDPR I issue? I, I, um, I would where, say where, so 110%. Yeah. Sons and daughters could check in on an elderly patient mm. in a ward. You don't think that would fly, no? Oh, I wouldn't think so. Okay. I wouldn't think so. Not what I, you know, another patient. And I suppose I heard that lady there, that lovely lady that was just down there, Neil, before you, helpless. These are our, you see what's happening is, or the generation that's coming up now, Neil, they just don't have that love or that care. Things are much different. And these are the people that we are sending into these hospitals. And we hope when you hear that there's a nurse looking after your mom, you presume that you're going to find like a little red riding hood. No, but no, or Florence Nightingale. Or, yeah. But maybe, you know, maybe, maybe, pe- maybe nurses do want to do the best they can and give the okay. best care they can, right? Okay. But the facilities they're provided, like the cleaning, that that sound, that's just not on. You know, it's like no, they, they have on. to be hospital settings must be pristine. But that's not a nurse's fault, for instance. No, or, or if there's I'm, not I'm enough never, nurses, no, I know I hear I'm stories not. of them hanging around the. 
the the the, the yeah, duty I've area. Seen it all. I've but, seen it all down at A and E and everything. The way people are treated. I hear what you're saying. One hundred and ten percent Neil. I have a nurse who's one of my closest friends, and she has compassion. And she is under so much pressure every day inside in the Mercy Hospital. It's compassion. These people are mothers to somebody. That's not enough. That is not enough. It's not a good enough statement to make saying, sure, God love them. No, that lady just died in hospital care, you know, probably for no reason at all. And that woman thought that at the time, the best thing to do was to put her into a wheelchair and take her home. Mm. That's not right. Mm. None of this is right. There is no excuse for the treatment that these beautiful people are getting inside in that hospital. And I've been through it three, four times and our family had to watch on helplessly while this was going on but my beautiful mom wheeled out into the corridor at night time. She was upsetting them. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, doesn't cut with me and I really hope that something is done about this. I really, really do. Thank you for your call, Jane. I do appreciate it. I want you to applaud Phil from yesterday morning's programme who rang about the conditions in the CUH. My uncle died seven years ago. He was in CUH receiving palliative care for six weeks. You see, he had colon cancer. He was in a room that didn't have any ensuite bathroom, so experienced an indescribable lack of dignity and privacy. He was 61 years of age, strong mentally, but there were nights when he would beg me to stay until he fell asleep as he was so afraid of one particular nurse. I sat with my uncle one night and could hear a nurse verbally abusing an elderly patient while the patient sobbed and repeated over and over, I'm sorry, nurse. I'm sorry, nurse. I got up from my chair to intervene, but my uncle begged me not to. He, has, he said he had spoken to the nurse a few nights previously. Her, her abuse was not uncommon, apparently, and she forgot to bring him his OxyContin pain relief. Forgot in inverted commas. He rang the bell another night as he desperately needed the bathroom. No one came. He couldn't control his bowels. The same nurse arrived, told him that he was disgusting, dragged him down the corridor and hosed him down like a dog. These were his own words. As Phil mentioned on the air yesterday, my abiding memory of my uncle's time in that ward and one of his last days on earth was his fear of this nurse. Uh, I have no complaints for other staff members. They were, comp- they were competent but busy, and there were no t- there was no, but there was no time for human kindness at a time when I believe it's needed most. I still struggle with this experience. I feel I failed my uncle, but more importantly, other patients... By abiding by his wishes and not reporting this nurse because he was afraid of the consequences with the nurse. I should have done so after his death, but I was so depleted I focused on helping my uncle's daughter through her grief and through my own. I'm humbled by Phil's courage yesterday morning. Please, people, take her and others who tell their stories seriously. It says Fiona by email to neil at redfm.ie. Um, hold on to cause there. I hope Patrick is okay. I'll come back after the break. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851-04106. Red FM. Morning, Patrick. Neil, how are you? I'm good. Um, you... I'm actually in shock listening to this. <sighs> yeah, there's more. Yeah, there's more. There's a lot more. Anyway. I think that that's just going on in a hospital out the road from us. Yeah, but what if, what if that... But what if that scenario was created by central government or by those that control yeah. the funds and the purse strings think, well, and it has to be. design I mean, hospitals I, I, the way they do? Like, totally. why, why would you design a geriatric ward that didn't have a nurse's station within the ward? Or an answering toilet. Well, 
that too. But, you know, yeah, why I mean, would you have people who are the most vulnerable, the very elderly, the frail, who have all sorts of yeah. different physical and psychological conditions? All their life working to create what we have now. Where, where the nurse's station is way down at the end of a corridor. It's absolutely ridiculous. Sure, like, and to be quite honest with you, the stories that are coming out of there are just heart-wrenching. And I hope that our local politicians, we've got a T-shirt, we've got everything like that. Now I hope they're listening to this and they're calling it a hospital of excellence. I mean, if you close uh, four or five pubs and leave one open, like to see, like we say, for example, closing the South Family Accident Emergency, all the different hospitals that closed and all bundled into one, it's not possible. Yeah, no, I mean, really, it, you know, it, like a huge amount of money goes into health, but I don't believe in yeah, centre. I don't, I don't believe in centres of excellence at all. I believe no, in, a, I believe in community care and smaller hospitals, yeah. and yeah. you know, in, in in local areas, county by county, town by town, or you know, not not village by village, obviously, but you know, areas. I feel like I'm, I'm very mixed with this because for the simple reason that, I mean, look, you take these nurses and the doctors and it's not so long ago that we were out on the streets clapping them for what they were doing for COVID and how much of a wonderful job they were doing. Well, let know? us, let us mean, continue to of, acknowledge the good work of those hardworking yeah, medics who actually do care. there is loads of them who are actually hardworking yeah. and really do care. But I'm not saying that there's, there is obviously a section, look, that don't care because of, of the stories that have come on and things like that. But I mean... I'm not saying because of the bad situation they're put in that they should treat people like that. But my story was I went into... Okay, but can I just say before you tell the story, I I am being criticised by people, certainly uh, people who are themselves involved in in medicine, but I am not going to stop allowing people to tell their stories, right? I'm not going to... So so in spite of people saying that it's... In spite of people saying that it's reckless or frightening people or that it's not true... No, if people not, want to share a story, I'm, I'm happy to listen and give them a, a voice. But go I mean, ahead. That's what your show does, yeah. and okay. that's the right thing to do. No, just, just but, um, let me just read it. But your own situation, go on. Yeah, okay. Well, I was one night, I mean, basically, it was just before COVID at the start of February, and I had to go down to the CUH hospital with a problem and stuff like that, and went into A&E, and I mean, A&E was bad enough to start with anyway. That small little room out there is an absolute disgrace. So you, the staff on, on the reception couldn't give a damn. Then you're brought in, and you're brought in to be triaged, as you know yourself. Yeah. Uh, right, so I went into triage. There was a junior doctor on there. There was a guy sitting across from me, just right across from me. It was his fourth time they were trying to take blood from him, and he was screaming at your man, telling him, the junior doctor, it's not the junior doctor's fault, I suppose, look, he just didn't know how to do it properly. But he said, this is your last time trying. He goes, my hand is in bits, obvious, so that's fine anyway. The same junior doctor done me. He done it in one go, which was fair enough. And anyway, they said to me, right, we're going to take you down to the end of the corridor there. And next I got presented with four timber chairs. Next to a photocopier, next to two toilets. If anybody knows the, um, the what you call it, the a when you go down the corridor, you have the nurse's station at the end there. You turn left and you go straight right up to the top. And that's where the toilets are. That's where the photocopier is. I was given four chairs. And what were you supposed chairs. to do with the four wooden chairs? That's what I was meant to stay on for the evening. You were, the you were to lie on those, is it? Yeah, I'd lie on the chairs. Surrounded, blood on the floor. Uh, they've gone around cleaning things with cloths. And then they'd move from cleaning a chair to cleaning something else with the exact same cloth. Yeah, no, but, no, but do, bear, bear in mind two things. Bear in mind now two things here, right? The cleaning is not the responsibility of the nursing staff or the medics, and oh, also, and nor is the lack of beds. There's no beds. Yeah, I no, mean, but beds. you can, Yeah, you can't blame a nurse 
the junior doctor medic but there was none around like look it's it's like this and the way I no I'm just trying to be fair and balanced I'm not taking from your story I'm just saying and here's a fair point even going for the nurses and the doctors again can you imagine sending two people into a pub to clean it and we just say in an hour and now you send them two people into a conference centre and ask them to clean that in an hour it's contracted out, though, isn't it, uh, these days? Yeah, but what I'm saying is that there's not enough staff there. They're totally, totally overwhelmed out there in what they're doing. In- and then perhaps it could be said then the different hospital scenarios take the take a tender, the most attractive tender or the best price or what have you. So, of course they do, yeah. But, but you I mean, can't put a, you can't put a price on hygiene. You just can't. No, you can't. You but, can't. but anyway, so you're on the four chairs. Go ahead. I'm on the four chairs. Basically, I got ignored. Left there for the night. You said, you asked them, were they having a laugh, is it? Oh, yeah, I mean, I said, are you having a laugh with, um, basically, said, like, me, you, you want me to lie across four timber chairs? Yeah. And, I mean, sure, basically, they didn't take any notice. They were, what do you mean, having a laugh? I mean, like, to them, it seemed as if it was a normal thing to say. Right next to a photocopier, where they were coming down all night, you know, the nurses or whoever, doctors or whoever, copying stuff and things like that. They'd for a pillow, a blanket, nothing. It was a bag that my doctor told me bring in with me overnight that I brought in with me. That's what I used to put my head on. You know, the HSA go into all of these different businesses, particularly those that provide food. And they give them chapter and verse on the things that they have. A cup of tea. No, no, I'm saying I, they give them chapter and verse on, you know, the health and safety and hygiene and closing places down. Do do? Does yeah. anybody go in and inspect? Anyway, so you I say that it. there were old people on trolleys. It was like a war they zone. Were screaming. I mean, you walk in the door, you would actually, when you walk in the doors at the a and you see it, you'd actually think that there was after being a terror disaster on Cork. It was absolutely a disgrace, Neil. There was old people in every single section that a space that you could find in that A&E department. You couldn't even hear some of them screaming. It was terrible. The only time, the only time that I was in A&E, thank God, was, was some years ago. Oh my God, it must be nearly 10 years ago. And my son had an injury playing rugby, right? And there yeah. was an issue because he got kicked in the head and we had to go to, we had to go in A&E. It was very, very busy there. But my only experience of it was that it was really frenetic and everybody was busy running around. There was people everywhere. But when he got seen and when he got in, you know, you go through A&E and you get into the actual accident and emergency area itself. Yeah. The treatment was, it was incredible. He was under the care of, you know, Chris Luke, you've heard of him. He's one of the, yeah. you know, the, the consultants well, there. Can I ask you a question? And do you think that's, that's because of you? Not at all. Not for a moment do I think it had anything to do with it. They were just, no, I don't. They were just on the ball. They just, they were so efficient. They were so together. They were on top of everything. They knew exactly what they were doing. But Ten years ago, Neil. No, but, yeah, but I'm just saying, but, but what goes on outside trying to get people through that system and into that, that's where the chaos is. Oh, like, the chaos is inside as well, though. I mean, that's why I'm saying to you, I was lying across four timber chairs. There was blood on the floor. In between two toilets and a photocopy. No, I accept. I accept that it's and it's going to be that way again this winter time. But we're we're dealing really. We're, you're saying there were elderly patients in there and they were being screaming. They were screaming in pain or yeah. neglect. Or I would imagine screaming in pain. Yeah. Okay. And and yeah. It was just ridiculous. I mean, for the simple reason they just did not have enough doctors. They did not have enough enough nurses. And to be totally honest with you, people can turn around and say the nurses are being neglectful, the nurses are being uh, rude, the nurses are being obnoxious, right? Now, I know there is no reason whatsoever for that. But if you keep piling work onto people, onto people, onto people, onto people, they lose the will to work. 
They become numb to the... To, to the uh, exactly. Yeah. And the patients don't become patients. They become numbers and statistics. Could happen to anybody in any job, actually, exactly. if they hate yeah, their job or they don't feel valued and they're not provided yeah. with the and right... If all your producers and all your... Um, Brenda there... They'll just, just be tired kicking. ...tomorrow morning and just said, Neil, you're doing that in your own there. And you had to answer every phone call, every text, everything like that. You'd be overwhelmed. You'd <laughs> sure I'd be overwhelmed. Did you end up yeah, in a, you know did you end up in a ward? No. Okay. I walk, I got, when I woke up in the morning, when I say woke up, I was only half drifting in and out of whatever I could do. I just got up and turned around and said, listen, good luck. All right. Okay. Just, uh, I'm going to keep moving. Just to answer your question, has any politician yeah. made any comment to this show today or yesterday's show? To answer your question, Pat Buckley, the Sinn Féin TD, was listening yesterday. He's listening again this morning. He is horrified. He says that following what we've been talking about on the air, he will be raising the treatment of the elderly in um, the hospital settings that we've spoken about in the Dáil today. He will be talking particularly about the COH following yesterday's programme. Uh, he says he will be pushing for a full independent investigation. Quiet. Can I ask you one, just one more question? Yeah. If there's any nurse or doctor brave enough to answer this, that when the Minister for Health makes an appointment to come out and see the CUH, I've heard this a number of times, that all the area that he's brought into is painted and cleaned and all done before his arrival, because they know his arrival, it's pre-planned, it's not that, that he walks in. I know Michal Martin done it a few times, just walked in, well, but in general it's planned. You know what they say, if you want to know me, come live with me. You could say the same exactly. about hospitals. Thanks yeah. for that, appreciate it. Thank you, Patrick. Um, my dad died in 2013. Thankfully, he only spent a few days in the COHG ward. I have never experienced anything like it. The nurse was the most uncaring, inconsiderate person I have ever met. I will never forget her treatment. Thankfully, he was moved to Marymount, where he died. They were the polar opposite to the CUH. At the funeral, the priest gave us prayers of the faithful to read. One was for the nurses in the bonds, the CUH and Marymount. I removed CUH part from the prayers of the faithful. I found it very stressful as I was pregnant with my first child and I was afraid to go to the CUMH after my experience of the CUH. Thankfully, the CUMH is nothing like the CUH. She removed the reference to the CUH part from the prayer of the faithful. Uh, lines open one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. You can text 0868104106. Jane, good morning. Morning, Neil. Thank you for your patience. Uh, tell me about Very your gra- tell me about your granny. Um, well, my nan, um, she was eighty nine. She was at home with us um, all the time. Her health hadn't been good in like a number of years, um, but unfortunately, in March, she started complaining um, with a severe pain, and um, she ended up anyway being taken by ambulance to CUH. Um, where a good hour and a half away from the CUH we're actually down West Cork And was there no hospital down there that could have looked after your grandmother in her own community? Uh, they refused to take her um, they don't take people with pains because they don't do x-rays on the old we were told um, the ambulance men they were so lovely they said look we're going to really try to get her into the local hospital she has no business going up to CUH she's 89 years of age um, but no, they would not take her. She ended up going up um, on a Saturday morning to CUH. Um, we found out nothing. My sister rang and rang. Um, they would tell her nothing. They were rude to her. But eventually, anyway, on Friday, the following Friday, um, a doctor rang my mother. What do you mean they were rude? Uh, she would phone up and ask, how was her ma'am? 
my nan, yeah. it was actually my sister, because my sister is actually so, a nurse in a, in a private hospital in the city. Um, she works part-time. But um, they wouldn't tell her. They just said, look, you're not. Your name is down on the record. It's your mother's. She needs to ring. Um, we're busy. They were always just cutting her off. Um, our nan had only been in hospital twice before this in the CUH in a time when you could access the CUH and go in. And my sister used to go in and even change the bed. That was in 2014. So this time, anyway, it was lockdown. So do bear in mind this was lockdown, yeah, okay. This was lockdown. Nobody was allowed in to see her. Um, my sister went up a few times with pyjamas um, at the door and someone would come out and meet her and take them. Um, basically, she came home on the Friday. The doctor rang on the Friday and said, look, we've x-rayed her. She's riddled with cancer. She's terminal. Um, she also had pneumonia. So... We just were so upset. Um, we're still so upset. But um, we brought her home um, by a private ambulance. But if you saw the stage for her when she came home, she was covered in bed sores. She could barely speak. Um, she was hoarse because they didn't even give her a drink. She wasn't exactly able to feed herself or drink. Um, covered in bed sores. And she actually died the following um following Thursday after coming home on the Friday but that's not nothing to do with them she just was very ill but the point was that when she was up in CUH she was just left there thrown to bed left a nappy on all day long and ended up with bed sores and coming home just in an awful you know awful state back to us and it just broke her heart completely that it would have been better had you kept her at home you're saying yeah like we didn't know what was wrong with her like she was always and ever at home with us. But, but the pain was, was, was advanced cancer, yeah? It was advanced cancer and we didn't know she wasn't complaining only kind of a week or two leading into it but the way she was sent home to us after a few days above in the CUH I don't care what anyone says about heroes and frontline um, you wouldn't send a dog home in the state. Like this was, this was only a few days this wasn't even a week and if you saw the bed sores in her we had to keep turning her myself, my mother, my sister every few hours because um, she couldn't lie on her back or nothing because of the pain of the bed sores. So, I mean, we had to go into the local district nurse and actually get like support pads to even put on her with the nappy to protect the bed sores. They were so bad. And this was after a few days above in the CUH. So I just would like that to be known that, you know, when old people go in there, a the majority of the time, they really just aren't looked after. And she definitely, you know, was not looked after up there was abandoned in the bed for five days, you believe? Yes, yes. And she was in nappies. She was doubly incontinent. And um, she would have to be changed like every two two hours. My mother and my sister would change her. Um, like her mind was perfect. Like her mind was better than you or me. Did she say anything about her time in there? Was she capable of saying anything? She did all she said was, sure, they were very busy because, you know, we were giving out about the station. But that was the kind of person she was. She would never talk bad about anybody. All she says, sure, they were very busy up there. Yeah, she didn't want to be that. a burden, you know. She's of that generation, really. Where... She is of that generation, but unfortunately she died a few days later. And it was just sad that she had to endure a few days above in CUH where she was just left there on a bed. And I know for the first 24 hours she was there, she was just thrown into an assessment room and left there. She wasn't even put into a ward. So, do you know what I mean? And I think when you're in lockdown and you can't go and visit a person, they should, I know they're busy or whatever, but they should be some bit obliged to feed back to families about how somebody is. I know, I know. So sorry for that. So sorry for that. Do you know what I mean? We've had to endure that. We had to endure 
not being able to give her a proper funeral. But I think what upsets the most is her treatment in CUH leading into her death. You know, send an old lady of eight, nine years of age home like that. With a bit more care, attention, with a bit more care and attention and respect, of course, it would be all so different, you know. What, what would you, uh, if, if I were to say to you that it's really down to lack of staff and not the best, not the best facilities in spite of their calling it a centre of excellence, that, that it's not really the fault of the staff, well, it is and it isn't. Do you know what I mean? Like everyone has a duty of care in some capacity in, in a profession. Do you know what I mean? Like there is care assistants, there is porters. I mean, it's not that hard to give a woman a drink. It's not that hard to, you know, change a nappy. Do you know what I mean? I know myself from being in the maternity ward. I was left there. You know, I had a section. I went private. I had a fantastic consultant, but they left me two nights in a row with no pain medication. And the next morning when they would come and say, are you all right? I'd say, but I got no pain medication last night. They would just say to me, but why didn't you ring the bell? Do you know what I mean? So they have wrongs to do. They have medication to distribute, I'd imagine. Do you know what I mean? This were understaffed, just kind of getting old at this stage. I mean, they're messing with people's lives. Do you know what I mean? And they're leaving families really, really hurt and upset because they're getting people they love. So you also believe that the elderly are not necessarily a priority anymore? Well, I wouldn't think so, but look, that's my only experience okay. of it. But it was a very, very sad experience of it. Okay, all right. Thank I you wish, for that. I wish it had been different, but it just wasn't. Thanks very much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Helen, good morning. Uh, let me get my lines together. Helen, can you hear me? No, she's not there. I'll go to line two instead and you can check again with the... I'll tell you what, I'll take a break. Come back in a minute. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at NeilRedFM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Okay, back to your calls in a second, Brenda. Uh, Morning, Neil. I hope this finds you well. I just wanted to say a few things as a nurse working in the CUH in regard to your show from Monday, yesterday, and I suppose you'd include today in this as well. I'd like to start off by saying it's appalling that you would allow your guests to name and shame wards within the hospital. That breaches all patient and staff confidentiality. You wouldn't allow restaurants breaching COVID-19 guidelines to be named and shamed. So why allow wards in a hospital? Not so sure about that. Can I just say, I'm not so sure about that at all. I have um, in the past spoken about different establishments that seem to be, um, you know, flouting the rules and regulations. I mean, I'll always check, like we check with the hospital, I'll always check with a restaurant or a pub. But equally, I've also talked of those who've got it right. Anyway, to the email. I'd also like to point out that everything that was said on your program was hearsay. And to be quite honest, there were some extremely outrageous statements made with regards to patient care. There is a, pre- a clear protocol for filing complaints with the COH and they manage individual complaints as reported. No evidence to show that your guests inquire within the hospital about complaints. You've no evidence of filed formal complaints. I can completely understand the frustration surrounding the hospital facilities or the lack thereof i.e. showers and toilets not fit for purpose. However, this is not a nursing care issue. We do enough in the day than to take on a bit of DIY. Uh, as much as I too would love to fix up some of these facilities in the hospital, I as a nurse can't. It's one of the biggest public hospitals in the country and relies on funding from the government and the HSE. Another thing that wasn't pointed out on your show was complaints were sent in about the nursing care was given the staff to patient nurse ratio. Mind you, it was all praise for healthcare workers a few months ago when COVID-19 was in the hospital and we were all under the exact same stresses 
then as now. People are very quick to forget the hard work that actually goes on. If this is brought up on your show, I'd appreciate if you could remain anonymous. If I could remain anonymous. Kind regards. A very disheartened staff nurse in the COH listening to your radio program. Um, there is still as much praise for the healthcare workers who are um, doing their job and doing it to the best of their ability and perhaps in love with their job. Maybe the worry that people have from the past couple of days is those that have fallen out of love with their jobs. Uh, Helen, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? Thanks for holding. Appreciate it. Um, your ma'am, um, at the age of 80, tell me your story. She was admitted two weeks ago. She broke her hip and her femur. And now I have to say the ambulance men were absolutely spectacular. She was brought to the A&E by them and they were grand in there. It's when she went to the ward. She had surgery on the Thursday morning. And the next day she was, she needed to go to the bathroom. She was lying in the bed. She had to ring the bell and the other patients in the ward confirmed this. An hour and a half waiting for a nurse to come in and give her the bedpan every every time she needed to go. Now, it's my mother, they, the, another patient in there told her that a nurse said to her, if you have nobody comes to help you, just go in the bed. My mother wouldn't ah, come on. years. Not in a million years. Wait, wait a second. She's, you're saying that a nurse told a patient, if nobody a comes when you ring the bell. There, another elderly patient in there, Wet if the nobody b- comes when you, if you need to go to the toilet, just go in the bed. That's exactly, this is what we were told by a patient across from my mother. And who comes in then and changes the bed and, and things like that? Neil, I was there one night. My, it was my turn to visit Monks. We were allowed up every night for an hour. I was coming along the corridor. I heard my mother calling, nurse, please. She was distraught when I went in. I said, what is wrong? And she said, I need to go to the toilet and nobody's coming in. Two patients in the ward, young patients, confirmed. They had rang their bells to get somebody in. To cut for my mother, nobody responded. This was over an hour. I went outside to the corridor, and a nurse was out there. So there was more than one bell going then. Yes, three of them in the ward were ringing their bells for my eight-year-old mother, who couldn't get out of the bed. But if there are three bells going, that's that's yes. that could well be yes. a medical emergency. Nothing. Nothing. Nobody came in. I went out. This nurse is outside. I said, "Can you help my mom? She needs to go to the toilet." Oh, I'm on my break. She said, ask the girl down there. There was a girl down there in a green uniform. I went down. I said, could you come in? And she kind of tossed it a bit. I was pushing her out. I said, my mother needs to needs the bedpan. So that was fine. And so she said, I'm on my break. Pointed to I'm somebody else. Break. She didn't call the other nurse or say... No, no. Like, she, she told me, go down and find... Go down and ask this girl myself. Now, I found even with the nurses, they're speaking, we, like, it's distraught for us. We can't be with my mother up there all day. When we asked, how did my mom get on today? They wouldn't even look up at you. They kept their heads down as if to say, like, you're bothering me, you know. Just very, very ignorant. Now, I will say there were one or two nurses, fantastic, absolutely, very helpful. I will not put them all down. But the majority are just, they don't care about the elderly. And how, I wonder, how do the hard-working, kind nurses feel about the ones that are not hard-working and I, kind? I don't know, but my sister, like, she was there with one particular nurse there. She asked her to get the bedpan for my mother. She said, I will in the minute. And 15 minutes passed. She was over-talking to a young girl in the ward, trying to sort out her phone and her charger for her. And my sister had to ask again. She said, please, can you get the pan for my mother? She really needs to go to the toilet. And she said... I will now. 
just bold, like brazen back to her. So all was horrible. And then she just, uh, she, and every time when my other sister went up and a patient, a young patient in the ward said, your mother had to walk to the toilet today, unaided, with nobody to help her because no nurse was coming in and she needed to go to the toilet. So she had her Zimmer frame. She could have got another fall and did more damage, walking on her own into the bathroom. When the nurse came in, my sister complained and the nurse said, oh, Marie, you shouldn't have done that. But she had no other choice, Neil. Yeah. No one coming to help her, to bring her to the bathroom. Oh, it was just horrific. My mother cried. She was in there for 11 days. She cried morning, noon and night the way she was treated. She said they weren't nice. Um, she wanted to go home. In the end, we got her moved to a different hospital and I couldn't speak more highly to the, about them. They were they are fantastic. Where was that? And they're a public hospital as well. So, well, uh, what was, in, Can you tell me the other hospital that was fantastic? Because I want to hear some good stories too. Yes. The South Infirmary slash Vic, they're all the one hospital. Yeah. Absolutely spectacular. I okay. can't say enough for them. And is the ward that your mother was in in the CIA, was that geriatric? Uh, no, because it was mixed, like it was kind of after surgery, okay. because there was a young girl across from Oh my her. God, that's even worse than you're talking about wards outside of geriatric. Yes. There was a lady across from her, she had been there six weeks, she had no hip, she has to wait for a hip replacement or something, I don't know. She was the lady that was told, um, saw in the bed. There was a young girl, there was two other young girls, so it was a mixed ward. But uh, it was just, I just can't, I can't say anything good. It was just horrible. My mother, absolutely horrible. It, it's like we felt, we felt like as if once you go over 75, 80 in this country, you're just, go away, you're grand like. And they were trying to send her home then the way she was, but we fought for physio. So it's a lack of dignity and respect, really, and, and yes. giving giving yes. somebody time and being patient with them and kind. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. They're not interested in the old need, to be honest. They don't care. And your one was 50, 15 minutes messing with the phone. Is that what you're saying? Sorry? You're saying the nurse was 15 minutes messing with the phone and a charger yes. while your mother was screaming. A charger for a young patient while my mother was distraught in the bed needing to go to the toilet. Incredible. Yeah. All right. Okay. Oh, it was, it was terrible. Absolutely terrible. And like, we just... Uh, Sylvia, Helen, um, I'll talk to Sylvia in a minute. Phil said yesterday morning that after her experience in a particular ward in the CUH geriatric ward that she would prefer to die um, in her chair at home than ever go back in there again. Uh, my mother said the same. She yeah. said it's never again. She'll die at home. She will never go near a hospital again. Okay. All right. Okay. So... Okay, okay, thanks for that. Appreciate it. One eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Text zero eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Mind you, um, I have to say uh, one quick email. I work in an intellectual disability organisation. These stories you're covering are absolutely shocking. But I wanted to share my story of the CUH because there are some great staff up there. During the snowstorm, I was specialising with an elderly lady with an intellectual disability who was brought in by ambulance to the A and D. While we were there, I needed to change the lady's pad. But I needed some assistance and I asked a nurse if I could get help. She said, I'll send someone straight away. I waited 10 minutes. The nurse that was in charge of the bay we were in came running in, sweating, apologising that she'd been dealing with someone that they couldn't stop uh, being sick. Uh, We got the lady cleaned up eventually. Um, My patient, I suppose. We got the lady cleaned up eventually. During the two days we were there, her bedside demeanour was incredible this particular nurse. She was so good dealing with the person I was specialising with and that person's family, 
that I just wanted to share. And, it, and it's important that you do because nobody's saying that this is, um, you know, that there's an epidemic of bad stuff. It isn't that. I'm just, um, you know, wondering how the good people feel if they're working alongside people who are cold or just don't have uh, very good patient skills. Uh, back after 11 on 1850-104-106. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. It was Phil's story yesterday morning um, regarding uh, her observations when she was in the geriatric ward at the CUH. And uh, Lillian says, I'm sitting here listening to Phil's horrendous story of her experience in the geriatric ward. Throughout the pandemic, with the stories I hear from Ireland with regards to the treatment of the most valuable treasures or elders. Instead of being treated with dignity and respect, they seem to be forgotten about and cast aside. I've had this email on my mind for a long time, but I didn't want to add to the stress if my email was read out. But to me, the goal of our government, because they are the ones who should care for people who raised us, paved our way, what I see now is a determination to cull the elderly. Why is no one marching for them? They are living in fear at the end of their lives, it seems, and they've been the hardest done by. It's a shame on all of us, though, as a nation, says Lillian. Uh, morning, my elderly aunt was a patient in the geriatric ward in the CUH last year. The medical care was excellent, but the nursing staff care left a lot to be desired. My cousin and I took it upon ourselves to look after her personal care after a few days, once we saw how neglected she was. We witnessed patients, though, not being fed properly, confused patients being argued with by a nurse. We made it our business to identify who was in charge of the ward and observed that in the eight or so days that my aunt was on the ward, that manager never came into the room once and we were there most of each and every day. Nursing care is not what it was and patients' basic needs are being neglected while writing and sitting at desks or looking at boards seems to be the order of the day now. When my sister-in-law collected her husband from the CUH a few months ago after roughly a week-long stay, she said there was an odour in the car as they headed home. He had, been so, he had been too unwell to care for himself and so therefore received no personal care. Thank you for taking the time to read this and highlighting the plight of the elderly patients in the CUH. Um, well, thank you for your emails, incidentally. Back to the phone lines we go. Sylvia, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Okay. Um, I want to say um, something, a lot of positivity about CUH. My mother was a patient there uh, some years ago, and we can only sing their praises from the doctors, the consultants, the nurses, the auxiliary workers. Um, she was so well looked after. In fact, um, when my siblings would leave, if they came to visit her, uh, they offered me tea and toast several nights and they were run off their feet and they had time to offer me tea and toast. So um, I and I was a patient there myself before and uh, the care was excellent. OK, so are you talking about when you were there or an elderly no, patient? Well, first of all, um, my mum was there. Um, oh, it's got to be 10 years ago, maybe. Okay. And um she was a step down from intensive care, but there were three of them in that unit. And every single one of them, you know, um, maybe there were more nurses, but they were so caring. And but she was, was she happy. in a geriatric ward or in a general ward? Well, or she, a was a, she was a geriatric when this happened, but it was, um, it was, well, she, she, we knew she wasn't going to get better. 
she they they did everything they could, but she she couldn't she wasn't going to get better. She was eighty. And she goes there. Yeah. Yeah, but, but it wasn't a geriatric uh, unit as such. Oh, as which you see, it's very important to state that because many people have very, very kind and happy stories to tell of different yes, aspects of yes. the CUH, but not the geriatric care at the moment. That's what well, I'm. See, that's um, my concern. Two, two of the patients were geriatrics, I think, and and there were two younger people. But it wasn't intensive care. It wasn't an inten- It was a step down from intensive care. And they made us feel welcome. We only the family could see her toward the end, and they were tremendous to us as well. But we we knew she was going to pass on because <sighs> they they couldn't cure her. I'm so I'm so I'm so glad that your experience there was a good one. It was great. And then myself, but, I was in there as a patient, and they were run off their feet. But that's about two years ago now, and they were run off their feet. And I was so well, you know, here I am after a procedure. <laughs> And um, they still had time to come in and check on me. And and there was another lady in the room. I was sharing a room. But um, I've only the the highest praise for them. I don't know how they do it. And it makes me sad to think that, you know, some people have had bad experiences. Or maybe, maybe is it to do with COVID, the virus? Uh, in, so, in some cases, there were, in some cases, the stories did have restrictions laid upon them with regards to COVID nineteen, but other calls and emails are one year ago, three years ago, five years ago, ten years yeah. ago, and and I am talking yeah. about the geriatric aspect of it, not in other yeah. wards around the hospital. All but right. it's good to accentuate the positive. Mum was a geriatric. When, when she was admitted. I understand, I understand. Okay, happy right. to give you the platform to uh, big up the positive experiences you had there. All Thanks, right. Sylvia. Cheers. Right. You're welcome. If you Bye-bye. get to read this out, Neil, please don't give up my details, but uh, I wouldn't like to go on air either, but my father was on floor four at the CUH. He went in after a fall and had a broken leg at 88 years of age. Because of COVID, we could not visit him and did not see him for six weeks, which was understandable. But we were allowed a phone call with him After a few weeks, uh, and after a few weeks, my mother was allowed to visit once a week. And it was so sad to see my mother being wheeled in, in a wheelchair, and getting to see him after so long, as they had never been apart for 68 years. We brought her as far as the door, and they took her from there in tears to see him. She was delighted to get to be with him, and they spent the 15 minutes hugging and sobbing, as you can imagine. That's heartbreaking. He had stopped eating and was complaining with thirst all the time. But my mother gave him some of his favourite drink, which he brought with her, and that was the only thing that he would drink. When he seriously deteriorated, we were allowed visit one at a time, and he would ask for this drink, which he sucked from his special drinking vessel as he was very weak. My father died there after almost nine weeks. He had a pin in his leg to repair the break, But what shocked us was when we opened his wardrobe to empty it, it was full of his favourite drink, which we assumed he had been drinking. But now conclude it was never even offered to him, even though it was the only thing that he would drink and they knew in the ward. I found some of the staff were nice, but for the most part, abrupt and unapproachable when trying to voice our genuine concerns. I have the greatest respect for all carers, and I know this doesn't reflect the great work the vast majority of them do. But I feel with the COVID restrictions came the freedom for those who don't care 
not to care. Thanks for reading this, Neil, even if you don't read it out. I feel I've offloaded the heavy guilt felt for not checking up more on his well-being as we feel he was so thirsty all of the time because he never got the one thing that he could drink. Cheers, Neil, says John by email. To Neil at redfm.ie. Keep your emails coming, guys, if you would like to share. Um, a nurse responded, as many nurses have been since uh, yesterday morning. I've never come across these incidents in my hospital. I'm not a nurse in the CUH, but in another hospital. Listening to the short stories on your radio program, I am in a state of shock. Bed sores in this day and age are a thing of the past. In over 20 years of nursing, I haven't seen a bed sore. It was very upsetting listening to this. If this is what's going on, I feel like going and handing in my notice. There should be an independent investigation for the fairness for both sides. That's a nurse's response to our stories over the past uh, couple of mornings. Uh, Mary, good morning. Hi, hi, Neil. Thank Thanks you. for talking to me. Yes. What's on your mind? Well, I was a bit upset that no, that a lot of people rang in saying how wonderful it is in CUH. Now, the medical staff are brilliant, but like any institution, there's a percentage that are horrible in any staff. And some of the carers are lovely and some of them are horrible. Some of the nurses are lovely and some of them are horrible. I've been in hospital on and off for the last 23 years. And I'm, I'm 60 this last year and I'm put into the geriatric ward sometimes. But I can find the same is is in the same standard throughout the, the wards. You're left uh, the uh, in, the dirt is is unbelievable. They put bedpans up on the the table that's used for coffee and tea and breakfast. They they might leave the bedpans, bedpans. The bedpans on top of where they serve food. Yes, yes, and if they're they could be left there by somebody because the carer mightn't think it's their job to move that one, and the nurse mightn't think that it's their job to move it either. So it could be left there. I was in but you don't put where, a, you don't put a bedpan up where people are eating their meals. No, like, you don't, and you put it away immediately because it's full of uh, stuff. And um, oh, and it was oh my god! You mean there was stuff in the bedpan? They they, were, they they just didn't take the bedpan away until they were asked to several times. Sometimes they were put on the floor. Then if they were in haste, they just push it on the bed and it could be spilled. And then somebody's walking from that room to the next room with urine on their on their feet. It's absolutely disgraceful, and I just think that um, the nurses that are there, it's well hidden, you see. It's like any bullying of any type or whatever you'd like to call it, mistreatment. A lot of people don't know about it when they're working with those people, but I've been there so often. Now, it happens in every hospital, but CUH is a nightmare. I hate going into CUH. I just hate it, and um, if I got the fact that I... If anybody recognises my voice now, and I end up going in in the next few weeks, I'll be I'll be reprimanded for it silently. If you complain, you just can't complain. I have written complaints since 19, since 2013. I've been writing to the ministers, to politicians locally. I've had changes made because of my complaints, but in the in the main, they're ignored. The administrative staff don't want to know. The nurses certainly don't want to know. They have enough to do. The nice nurses... They have enough to do, you're saying? Everybody has enough to do, but they still don't... They still leave when there's a complaint. They still don't answer when there's a complaint. You know, they're avoiding the the issues, and um, it's just terrible. You said that the wards are dirty inside. A specific ward, is it? it, You're you're talking about where, where elderly patients are kept, is it? Mary... 
It's one of those things, but we, we learn to live with it, and we'll come back to it in a few minutes' time. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851-04106. Red FM. Marie says that the elderly in the COH geriatric ward are not being treated with proper dignity and respect. But, so I'm sorry, Mary, you were you, you went away there for a little while and we're talking away, but I wasn't hearing you. I, I said to you that you said that the wards are dirty inside. Um, yes. Yeah, the toilet and the floors are dirty and you have to yes. clean them every time yourself before you go to the loo. In, when I go into the... Yes, when, if, you, if a bedpan is left on the floor under the bed, well, that's going to get knocked around. When I go into the toilet, if I can walk in at all, I have to try and clean it myself at times because the last person that's been in may have diarrhea or may be constipated or whatever, and they're just not able to clean the toilet after them. And you're left to clean up this mess before you even go to the toilet, and you're not able to stand. But would you not call for help it's or horrendous. ring a bell or push a button? It's or... horrendous, Neil, and I think people wouldn't ring in unless they were truthful. I mean, I find this very stressful now even telling you about this. I might seem fine on the phone, but I'm stressed out because of telling you, but I feel somebody has to speak up. Those old people can't speak up for themselves and their people don't know what's happening. You say people you know, don't speak up inside there because you don't complain don't if you want to be treated okay, American. because if you do complain, you say you're a goner. Yeah, you are, yeah, you are. You're put on a silent list. It's like being sent to Coventry, you know, and you're ignored, so you don't complain again. And as for the bell, the the button, if you ring that once and you're not, nobody answers. If you ring it a second time, you're a donor. It'll be silence, literally. It's just frightful in the hospital. And anyone who says it isn't, they haven't a clue. Like the, the name C-U-H to me means horribleness. Now, there are wonderful neurologists that, that I deal with there. There are wonderful other other medical staff, other nurses. I mean, there was student nurses there last year. when I, I was in three times last year. And um, it was a nightmare most of the time. But some of the staff are lovely. You can't get away from that. But what I do find is that when everybody says, stand up for the, 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 the nursing staff that are wonderful to us, some of the nursing staff wouldn't be there unless they're getting paid. It, they're not charitable. Some of them are, but some of them aren't. It's a mix like any population group. Tell me you of know, the lady... Really tell me, angry, Neil. Yeah, I know you are. Tell me of the lady who was badly treated one particular night, you know, what you were talking about from half past seven to ten o'clock. I can't hear you now, Neil. You said one lady was badly treated oh, one yes, night she, she was, was left. Yeah. yeah. What was that yeah, story? She, it was terrible. Yeah, she had a broken hip. And she, between 7 to 10, she was calling for help because she had she wanted to go to the toilet and nobody came. And by 10 o'clock, she had pooed all the way up her clothes, right up to her shoulders. It was streaming down the chair that she was sitting on. Her family had been there since 8 in the morning feeding her. So in the end, I, uh, we were, people were asking to help her. In summary, they took her, they gave out to her out loud saying that she, was a, she shouldn't be soiling her nappy. And um, they made a joke of it, an Irish woman and a, a Filipino man. I complained to all of them. And um, but by half ten, she, she was left with nothing on behind her, her curtains at her bed, freezing in the May conditions that we had with that year. Na- you mean naked? Pardon? Naked? The reception is bad, Neil. I know. No, you're doing fine. You're, you're, this was a dementia patient you're referring yeah, to yeah. who was left naked behind the curtain. Yeah, they went and washed all the gear for us, the church and last. 
got her one of those awful backless dressing gowns or whatever they're called. They had been told that she had lovely pyjamas in the, in the drawer and I said it to them as well and they ignored it. They put her into bed with one tiny thin little blanket over her and I went over to her and I said, when they were gone, I tucked her in and said, look, I'm here across the way, I'll mind you. I combed her hair and I got a blanket and I put it round her shoulders and I cried for the night. I couldn't go to sleep. The nurses knew that I had seen all of the action and they brought me all sorts of food during the night to calm me down, to, 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 to probably butter me up. But by the day, the following day, I had rung where the girls, the lady's daughter had been working and the staff there got onto her and I told them family about the situation but they wouldn't have known anything about that only for my complaints it was a nightmare Neil and I've had similar situation myself I've had nightmares but this elderly dementia lady she was freezing and shivering in the bed you said you you got up gave her another blanket and combed her hair yeah Ah, that's heartbreaking it is, yeah. I patted her head and I said, look, I won't say her name now because she's from a well-known family in Cork, but she died a month later. I'm not surprised. I don't know why she died, but she had a broken hip. She was in there. She was in her 90s. And, like, she didn't need that treatment. And the point of it all is that her family didn't even know what was happening. They were there. What they thought was enough, you know, but they're not but going you said to they were la- you said that, that they were laughing at her. Yeah, they were. They were going out for dirtying her nappy, and a few nights she was three hours. She was three hours trying to call them to go to the bathroom. Yeah, and she had gone. She was in. She had liquid poo. She was sitting in it for hours, and it was streaming down her chair, and you could smell it. I mean, it was. It was absolutely appalling. Where? What ward was that? Do you know? I I can't remember. It was one of the wards in CUH. It might have been three or four. Geriatric patients, though. Geriatric, elderly. Yeah, yeah. I'm always put in with the geriatric patients, even though I have a young, I have young onset Parkinson's. But I'm in with them anyway. You know. Okay. Look after yourself, Mary. Thank you for Thank taking you. the call. Yeah, Thank you're you. welcome, Neil. Thanks Professor Jerry, uh, Professor Ronan Collins is a consultant physician in yes. geriatric yes. and stroke medicine in Tally University Hospital. He's a Cork man. He joins me by phone. Uh, Ronan, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm well. I don't know how much of this today or yesterday or how much the lads told you about this, but I'm hearing horror story after horror story. Um, well, I was actually, well, I was going to talk about COVID-19 as it pertains to older people. Uh, and, I'll, and I've just caught, obviously, the tail end of your last guest talking, um, uh, I presume, with regard to the care of... The elderly, in, yeah, in in a, particularly in, in geriatric wards and geriatric settings. The worry is that many people don't know how our elderly are being treated in these wards when family aren't around. Um, well, the first thing to say to you is, first of all, uh, is that, like in all situations, it would be inappropriate to comment about individual... I appreciate that. So, just in general terms. ...or individual hospitals. Uh, but what I would say to you is that, in general terms, the care of older people is a matter of concern for us and a concern for me um, personally. Um, there's a couple of issues, from what I've briefly heard, that I could pick out thematically uh, about it. Uh, number one... The first one that 
theme that rises to my mind is about respect and dignity for older people, uh, which is very important. And certainly the flavour of a little of what I've heard uh, reflects that that hasn't been always evident uh, in what people are, are talking uh, or what people have witnessed. The second thing is that we've got infrastructural problems. There is no doubt about that. As I sit in my office um, taking this call with you and across the way, I see them finishing uh, what is a needed development in terms of paediatric care in Ireland. Uh, but apart from a few exceptions, there has been no appreciable um, investment by the state in the infrastructure involved in the care of older people. Um, and then there's some of the other themes I would have picked out is that I suppose that there's individual concerns that maybe some of our staff do not have the necessary gerontological skills. So if I was to briefly try and put a kind of a construct on what I've heard, and I'm not in any way trying to dilute or dampen down what I can hear is very honestly felt emotion um, about poor care um, as described by people that they have witnessed. But for, in my own experience working in hospitals, of course, for every example of poor care, you will find people who will actually have had a very good experience as well. Now, that's not to detract that any example of poor care uh, is is a is always a lesson for us to really improve our game, but, but I would say there's probably people who've experienced lots of good care as well in the wards and hospitals uh, who won't feel as motivated to come on and talk about it. But I will say this for us as a society and aging in general, and we ter- I prefer to use the term older pe- older people. The term geriatric itself is very often viewed as a kind of a cliche, and we've kind of tried to move away from it. Although I am a consultant geriatrician. And I did train in geriatric medicine. And the term originally comes as a kind of a derivation from relating uh, to older people, especially regarding to their health care. It's not a stigmatizing or disrespectful term, but like many other medical terms, uh, their original origins get used as stereotypical cliche descriptions of people. So we use other terms like age-related health care or the care of older people. I would say, for example, with regard to Cork in general, um, the description, for example, you're describing there about CUH, but that's just one component of a huge service looking after older people in Cork. And again, it would be unfair, for example, there's a very huge age-related service in uh, kind of St. Finbars, which does assessment and treatment of older people. I'm aware as well that they have a very fast-responding service for older people in the emergency department in CUH as well. And so, listen, I'm sure my colleagues will have listened to this in Cork and will be feeling justifiably upset. Um, and and you know, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of take maybe on board some of the themes that have been raised. But again, I can't comment. Anyway, what I would say in general is that we do have problems across our healthcare structure in terms of resources. Oh, no, no, I do accept that. I mean, we are talking about the most vulnerable, the elderly who yeah, have served their I'm time. Speaking I mean, about that, I'm speaking about that group in particular, Neil. We do have a problem in terms of, for example, when I say a problem, we have a challenge. The care of older, frailer people who are in hospital is complex. Um, has multifaceted, there's often several problems going on that needs our most skilled staff working in those wards. Yeah. They need to be proper ratios because it's very hard to give due attention to older people with this one to six fixated ratio that we seem to have had. The the layout of the wards are not designed towards older people. And I've witnessed this myself in several hospitals, both in terms of the bed space that we can give people. But even having a ward full of elderly patients who need real care and attention and love and affection, and the the nurse's station is down the corridor. 
Well, yeah. that goes back to my design of the wards and even the layout and the bed space and the wards that we, when much older people are being treated, the toileting facilities, the necessary kind of staffing and in terms of maintaining people's dignity. All those are challenges. I've, listen, I'm not saying anything new with this regard. I, I know, and I understand the infrastructural issues, I do, and I, I also understand that it is not your it is not your responsibility. I appreciate that. It's all that. a responsibility, Neil, because you know, I said this in television before, that you know, if you want to find the ward uh, the gerontological ward in a hospital seek out the oldest part of the hospital if I you see. want to find where cancer and cardiac care is done you'll find that's the brand new wing where the investment has gone and where the money has gone and that is the issue and that's a societal issue um, you know, that is an issue that we have to say to our commissioners of healthcare, we want more investment in the care of older people. Why are they missing that message? Like, they missed it during COVID as well. By People were screaming for weeks about, co- the, because about PPE and health cares and nursing homes. Because unfortunately, near whether we like it or not, society tends to be slightly ageist. Um, and you know, this is something we have to recognise as a society. It seems to me sometimes that when people retire, their voice is completely lost. And this is a dreadful reflection on all of us as a society that you know, that are older people. For example, to give you a simple example in terms of, and I'm not talking about any specific hospital now. You know, in general terms, when you every winter when the, the hospitals are in crisis and there's a trolley crisis and you're, there's a pressure on, for example, older people are seen as being the part or the problem or the creation of the trolley crisis, whereas actually older people should not be discharged earlier inappropriately. Older people are our core clients in the hospital. They are the people who need the hospital most. And if, for example, if you go up to orthopedic wards where people may have had fallen and had a fracture, there's almost an inherent system of kind of kind of discharge almost too soon yeah. applies to older people, but never to the younger person who came off yeah. the motorbike, yeah. if you know what yeah. I mean. I like, mean they're the people, you know, it's the person with the least medical complexity who could go to the nursing home first for a step-down care, not the older person who's got complex care needs. So we do need to rethink the whole thing in terms of our care of older people. I mean, but as I said, going back, I can't comment on it. Oh, I know, but the one, but like a couple of words spring to mind today and from yesterday. One is a lack of kindness, um, a lack of compassion, of giving of time. I mean, bells not being answered, toilets being filthy, food being put down, taken away, nobody wondering why the patient didn't or couldn't eat the food. Somebody, somebody elderly who needs that extra care and attention. Like a former CUH employee said that all nurses now have degrees. They're high Highly educated graduates, they're not interested in toileting, they're not interested in traditional nursing roles. These tasks are left to care assistants to carry out. There might only be two care assistants to award or less. The person is saying that all the nurses are interested in now is dispensing medication and doing paperwork, that the real traditional nursing profession is gone. I think, like all professions, they have changed over time and their roles have changed over time as well. So, for example, a counter-argument to that would be we now have nurses running their old clinics. We now have nurses doing skilled procedures that heretofore they wouldn't have done. So nurses are in extended roles in terms of diagnostics and treating patients, and we have started with nurse prescribing as well. So there's been a huge change in terms of the nursing profession. It's also the way that is phrased is kind of slightly disrespectful, if you don't mind me saying so. I know you didn't mean to be, but to our highly Nor did I say it. I'm quoting oh, no, somebody. I know you did, but what yeah. I'm saying is that to our highly trained um, healthcare staff as well, um, her healthcare assistants on the wards, 
who do formal um, training as well in the care of people. But what I picked out as a team, and uh, listen, I wanted to speak about COVID, but I, I find myself getting <laughs> What I wanted to pick out as a team from this, though, is that it's gerontological training that's important here. Just because you're a nurse or a doctor or a healthcare assistant doesn't mean necessarily you know how to treat and look after older people properly. And what I would say is that gerontological training should be a very core part of the curriculum of all healthcare staff, be the surgeons, be the you know, cardiologists, uh, be the nurses who work in neurology or different areas, because a core client, I forgot, a core patient group of our health service are older people, and justifiably so, because that is the success of healthcare that we're all living um, older. For example, I live in an area, I work in an area in southwest Dublin, and I came here originally when the hospital opened, and it was predominantly young neighbourhood. But I've been here quite a while now, so I see a huge successful, to a degree, ageing of our society but the challenges have now changed and some of my neighbourhoods for example there will be a 1,500% increase in the number of people over the age of 75 in the next 10 years that's a challenge for us because ageing does bring challenges it does bring complexities and our healthcare system needs to become more age attuned and I would go back to the three themes I picked out about that is number one there needs to be more gerontological training of all our staff there needs to that be means dealing how to deal with people as human beings is it? Is well, listen, I, that's a given, Neil, and I know where you're going. Uh, ultimately, yeah. you know, no one should be treated with disrespect you know, on a ward. And a key, you know, as I try and impart on our own, I can only be responsible for my own ward area, but you asked yeah. me to comment. A core message I try and impart to my own clinical staff, and we try and have the ethos in our own ward here, is to treat everybody as if they were your own mother or father. You nailed it on prime time the other night. Uh, I, I saw it. In fact, um, you didn't hold back. You, you, you pretty much said that the elderly, many of them now feel that life isn't worth living, having come through what they've come through with cocooning. I think it's been very tough in all sectors of society, but I think it's been particularly tough on older people because older people may not have the same or their social networks or family networks have been very much damaged, the support networks, by the cocooning and the restrictions placed on uh, on them by the pandemic. And I suppose what I was trying to highlight really is that as we move forward, no more than you were talking about healthcare and the institutions, the voice of older people needs to be represented uh, and the path forward needs to include the voice of older people uh, because you know, it's hard to listen to in a clinic and I haven't heard this for many, many years but older people saying to me that, you know, I'm really not sure whether life, whether it's worth going on really much longer. And, you know, the, the, the lack of enjoyment through the lack of family um, celebrations, community occasions, sporting and cultural uh, events that give joy, that give meaning, that give aestheticism to all our lives. Mm. If that's all lost for people, and then you add to that that people may be living in isolated circumstances with very little social interaction, then people begin to voice these kind of almost despairing emotions. Do you believe that cocooning was wrong then? Yes. But how would we have kept the most vulnerable and the immunosuppressed and the elderly safe? Well, within that question lies its own answer, because not everybody over 70 is vulnerable 
are immunocompromised or frail. Many people over 70 running their business, their businesses, their employers, either in official employment or unofficial employment as child carers to their children's children or even looking after adult family members who may have care needs as well. So older people, many older people, no more than any other sector of society, are productive, active, engaged citizens who contribute positively to society and to community and are not necessarily vulnerable. Are, are many of them vulnerable? Potentially, yes, from disinfection. But age in itself is not the greatest predictor of mortality from disinfection. It is the existence, the coexistence of other diseases. And can I say to, if older people are listening to this as well, to say to older people, um, you know, that they've shown fantastic citizenship um, to put up with the restrictions that have been asked of them, but also to assure them that, listen, without being irresponsible and taking too much of a risk, the vast majority of older people, if they contract this infection, will have a mild illness. And even if they have to be hospitalised, the majority of them will also survive. So you're saying it was wrong to put an age on it, to put a number on it, is it? Well, that's the first point. The second point then is not to engage and ask older people what the day feel was the way forward, you know, to get a sampling of this. I mean, you could argue that all these citizens' forums that we've had about important amendments to our legislation might be up and running currently so we can hear the voices of different sectors of society and also to, to input on the government's thinking as to what the best way forward is because we have to learn to live with this virus. You know, there is no other solution at the moment. We have to learn to live with this. And one of the problems is that we have lost our societal skills and how to live with the threat of illness. So, for example, in our, my parents' time, we'd have had TB, um, the out, polio outbreaks most pertinently to Cork. I'm just about old enough myself to remember the last outbreak in Cork and standing in a long queue around the dispensary in Kinsale uh, waiting for um, uh, my lump of sugar vaccine and, you know, the, how frightened our parents were. But, you know, people got on with life and were able to live and we've lost a little bit of that, uh, that's for sure. But we also failed to recognise what cocooning was doing to people. Number one, isolating them, creating a sense of despair, isolation. Uh, many people have very little family or family abroad and so have very little human contact. Many people lost muscle strength and their walking began to deteriorate. And we're now seeing older people falling um, because their walking had deteriorated. Uh, many older people's cognition and mental health and mental sharpness deteriorated. Many people who might have had mild cognitive or memory problems now have much more substantial problems mm. imposed by the cocoon. What we say is they went, they're gone, they've gone downhill. And do, do you believe that that will result in morbidity? Will result will result in death? Well, it will certainly result in morbidity. We're seeing that now. There's no doubt about that. I think, in hindsight, um, you know, I think cocooning will have seemed to have been at least a mistake that we didn't engage the voices of older people more about discussing it. I do understand the concept that we were trying to protect um, people who would be perceived as more vulnerable and to prevent our health services from being overwhelmed because we do not have a lot of extra capacity in our health services. But at the same time, I could have picked other sectors of society that were vulnerable and told them cocoon as well. Like whom? Well, for example, if you're middle-aged, for example, and you've had cardiac history and you might be um, maybe slightly overweight, you're at risk. Did you see that statistic that was released? It's a HSC statistic. I don't know whether you have a comment on this because all life is sacred, don't get me wrong. 1,777 deaths, of which 1,677 had underlying clinical conditions. Point being that only 100 actually died of COVID itself. Are you aware of that? Well, 
The first thing is that in terms of definition, first of all, how you define what is a COVID-related death. Um, because some of the deaths occur after the infections. And of course, if they occur in a much older person, it may be that the virus has weakened um, their physiological system. And then subsequently, they get another infection after like a pneumonia. And that's what, what I feel like is the cause of death. So case definition is important here. So it's and always I, a contributing factor, you're saying? I think it's been a contributory factor in a lot of deaths. Now, okay. I have to be careful here. And we all have to be careful here. We will have watched that programme last night on RTE yeah. uh, and people's experiences of that and indeed I'm working with a young doctor at the moment whose father who wasn't much older than myself died from this infection so I'm not in any way trivialising the risk from this infection it can be a serious illness for a certain group of people sometimes that's easy to predict sometimes it's not easy to predict I'm arguing however though that as we move forward that our government make decisions by listening to all sectors of society so we map a way forward that, number one, allows people to have some degree of life, sensibly and responsibly, and also that at the end of this, we are not returning to a desolate, socially phobic landscape where our economy is ruined, where people have lost their jobs, their businesses, their employment, and have had suffered huge mental health and physical problems. And in fact, that our response to this pandemic may have been worse than the actual infection itself. We have to be careful in getting the balance right. It's not easy, and I don't in any way think that NEFID's job is easy to do. But the government must listen and involve all sectors of society and also sample uh, our citizens and say, listen, what do we think is the best way forward? While at the same time being deeply cognizant that people have suffered during this. So it's not just about this pandemic and those whose life it has taken. It's the bigger socio consequences of this, I- including, uh, I think, reopening the pubs, yeah? Well, first of all, if we've no economy, you've no health service because that's what pays for. So, you know, the the knock on effects, if we have a very deep recession, both on the health of the individual and our ability to afford health care is one issue. Um, The second issue is, well, I suppose if you want to talk about the pubs, I'll just basically mention uh, my comment about opening the pubs was primarily with a view to kind of understanding that. And I have family who live in some of these communities themselves whose kind of main kind of community centre might be the local pub in a small village or town. And it's not that locals are going down and lashing into drink like the scenes, irresponsible scenes in my mind that we might have seen in Killarney and other places. But it's these are places where people you know, visit uh, to exchange the news, to greet one another, to express commiserations to people who may have lost people, to support one another, to chat, uh, you know, to try and support one another mentally as well. Mm. And so there's an important part. This isn't so much about alcohol as it is about a, a place where people meet in rural areas as well. And we have to recognise that. But it is also part of getting back to our normal life. And we do have to learn to live with this virus, as I say. When do you, finally, when do you believe, is, I mean, is there a vaccine imminent? No. Oh. Uh, we're going, and one of the things I would make is that we have to learn to live uh, with this virus. And one of the things, uh, I suppose, we have lost our societal skills to cope with the threat of infection. Um, as I said, your parents would have lived with the threats of infection. I've heard politicians talk about this as unprecedented. It's hardly unprecedented. We had four flu pandemics in the 1900s, and we've had four or five 
actual or threatened pandemics in the last 20 years. And unfortunately, the threat of infection to humanity is increasing for a number of reasons. Number one, with enhanced frequent travel. Number two, from our um, intensive farming um, um, uh, habits and the way we manage animal husbandry. And number three, our destruction of wild habitats that's introducing viruses into the human population. And we have to recognise that. Um, Of all the threatened pandemics in the world that the World Health Organization has been kind of looking at in the last kind of 40, 50 years, 60% of them are coming from wild sources. So as we destroy wild habitat, we are increasing the risk of these viruses mutating and causing serious human infection to which we have no immunity. So there's more to come then? Besides well, COVID-19. We, this is a wake-up call we have to change. Now, again, in 2009, we had a relatively serious swine flu epidemic, which killed somewhere between half and one million people worldwide, and infected some 60 million people in the States. Um, and, you know, I remember rushing to get my own children vaccinated at the time. And indeed, there were some cases of trouble with the vaccine potentially afterwards. But as I said, so this was coming Uh, It's not unprecedented. The World Health Organization has been trying to warn uh, the world and its politicians for many years that one of these pandemics was going to be serious. But unfortunately, that message has just been failed to be taken up uh, by our leaders. And just most definitely, finally, as we head into the winter now with all of the complications health-wise with winter, I'm talking about, you know, perhaps the flu, winter vomiting bug and things like this. Uh, is it going to be like what are we what are we looking at are we looking at a really really bad winter alongside of COVID-19 and the hospitals being overwhelmed and people getting sick again well again I think this is where we as citizens and members of the public can influence things hugely I think certainly by avoiding overcrowded spaces and avoid crowding things ourselves by frequent hand washing and mask wearing, not only will we reduce the transmission of COVID, but we will also seriously impact on the transmission of other viruses at this time, That's such right. as the flu virus yeah. and your winter vomiting bug. So again, us, all of us as citizens have a part to play in this, um, but uh, we do also need to have a life. So we need to map life, do the simple things well uh, and be rigid about them and at the same time recognise that we have to get on with life a little, that we are human beings, that we do need social interaction, that we do need some joy in life as well uh, and we need to move forward uh, in that regard. Covered a lot of ground, Professor. Thank you so much for taking Not the time. Appreciate it. Okay. I'll let you get on. Professor Ronan Collins, consultant physician in geriatric and stroke medicine at Tala University Hospital, Kinsale Man himself I might add. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. I covered a lot of ground there and uh, I'll be picking up on this and lots more besides on tomorrow's program. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851-04106 Red FM Linda's been standing by. Thank you Linda for waiting. Appreciate it. Good morning to you. Good morning, Neil, and thank you for uh, having me on there. Um, no, just going back to where we started there with the elderly and, um, and he, the It's very in, interesting. In Do you think it was very interesting, for instance, that Professor... It was very interesting, man. Right. I'd say I could have stayed listening to him for quite a lot long, longer. He said, um, regarding, he, he said regarding geriatric wards in hospital, he said they are yeah. generally the most run-down part of the hospital and shows how yeah. the elderly are rated within the hospital system itself. Yes. And I concur, I hundred uh, percent. Um, we had an experience, Neil, um, going back five years uh, with our beautiful mother, and um, our mother uh, had six weeks there, and in the in the ground floor of the OH Ward One A, and um, I, our experience there was pretty horrific. 
um, no empathy whatsoever uh, shown towards her and another lady. Both of them who were nurses all their lives uh, were treated so, so badly. And um, I remember one in- incident, uh, one evening going in and because uh, we worked around our mother to make sure that we were her voice, you know, and I, I sympathise a lot of people out there that had no voice. Um, but we were our mother's voice and we worked carefully to mind her and we witnessed quite a lot. And... Um, on this particular evening, we uh, arrived at the hospital. In the CUH now you're, you're talking about? In not, the CUH, yeah, okay. correct, yeah. yeah okay. uh, to find our mother uh, with absolutely nothing on her, you know, which was very, very sad and very, you know, demoralising and degrading. And I know our poor mother, you know, was totally unaware because uh, she was a vascular dementia patient. But uh, for her family to look on um, was pretty horrendous and when I questioned what was going on and why this happened um, they were busy It wasn't that so she I was said, she was un, let me be respectful to her unclothed in bed she was unclothed yes. walking around the ward No, in the bed Oh sorry it bed. says walking yeah, around heavy, here Yeah, yeah, yeah she would have been heavily medicated because she was extremely uh, quick on her feet and that that uh, came to a halt within I'd say seven to eight days of our mother being admitted, her medication had gone rocketed in in in, in you know in keeping her uh, suppressed. So uh, yeah, so we witnessed all of that as well, um, which was very um, you know upsetting um, you know to see your 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 parent without a voice. But at the same time, even though we had a voice, my point is that. Uh, you know, she was very much left to the wayside. You know, um, they were just there, and they were they were if they were busy, they were suppressed, and uh, and they were told. You know, we were told, like you know, that they 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 hadn't time. Or, you know, things were there's too much going on. You know, and they were in lockdown. God, God love them, and they're human beings, and that's my point this morning. Like, but all this, you know, we have so much going on. They were very much forgotten, Neil. You know, no, we weren't in lockdown. You're family. saying that you're saying that the patients and your mother were treated as if it was lockdown. Correct. Yes. They were. They were actually locked in lockdown, and it was sad. They're human beings. They were restrained. Um, and I there was, was there uh, was there was a very upsetting. Uh, incident with an elderly lady that you witnessed, is that right as well? I did, I did, and she was a nurse as well and she wasn't that elderly, Neil. She was in her early 60s and her family and my family became uh, close that we'd mind each other um, while I was away, they'd mind my man while they were away, we looked out for their man and on this particular occasion she was restrained and she was um, heavily belted into a seat where she was quite soiled and I rang her family to let them know, you know and they, they arrived. Now, they took actions uh, there and then, which was right. But had they no family, is my point this morning. If you don't have a voice for these beautiful people who are, you know, vulnerable, then I... I what kind of restraint are you... Are you what kind of restraint are you referring to? In a chair, a high chair, and then like a seatbelt into a seatbelt. Covered, exactly c- covered in feces? She was covered. She was uh, in feces, and um, yes, and I stand over that. And that family are. I mean, this is not the nineteen. This is not to a nursing home. You know, you moved her to a nursing. This is not the nineteen fifties. We had no choice. We were told that our mom had to go after six weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hard to believe in this day and age that we're hearing stories like this. It's hard to believe, and I was kind of, um, you know, nervous about coming on and expressing my feelings towards uh, what was going on. But, you know, my mom always said, bad things happen when good people do nothing about it. And I got this opportunity this morning after listening to those 
unfortunate people just like us. And it did happen. And it is happening, you know. Thank and you, you talk about, you know, an acute hospital. That's exactly what it is. There should be no elderly person, in my opinion, put through waiting on a trolley, falling and getting other, you know, other issues coming on them uh, and exposed to, you know, uh, people watching them, you and having to go to the bathroom. It's so sad. There should be a separate part where they, they're protected and they're not, in my opinion. Yeah, it's a sad indictment of society and, and those that we ask to look after, you know, the purse strings to invest in areas like elderly care. Linda, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time. So thank you so much. Time. All right. God bless. Take care. Back after the break. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. Okay, we'll pick it up in the morning, guys. I'm out of time for now. I didn't even touch on any of the texts this morning. One of them did say, though, and I'll read them tomorrow, but one of them did say, I'd appreciate if you provided balanced views with regards to your stories, particularly this war that people are speaking about, it's hard enough to work in health service as with the unbalanced reports and accounts from people displaying only negative views on air. A little bit of research wouldn't go amiss too. I mean, you're entitled to your opinion, but I certainly believe that witnesses are research. I certainly believe that stories are research, experiences research. What people are telling me on the air is the research that we need. Um, I actually think it's quite unfortunate that you have that point of view because it's somewhat disrespectful, I believe, to people who are telling the stories of their loved ones or their own personal experiences. Uh, and I, for one, will always give them a voice. Uh, I'll talk to you in the morning. Can I just love you and leave you and say the Cabinet has agreed that all pubs that do not serve poo- food, that means all of, the fo- all of the pubs, will be able to reopen from Monday week, the 21st of September. All of the pubs will open. I think they're also later in the week going to publish some more information with regards to things like international travel restrictions and whether or not you'll be able to go to sporting events. So that will be under the living with COVID plan. But certainly with regards to the pubs, it seems as if the cabinet has agreed Monday week they'll throw their doors open. And I will again in the morning at nine. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.